and welcome to the Crash Course Podcast. I am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. I'm John. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. No, no I we're not did going that. around I did that. We're not going around No, but I, I Copycat. Bookending. I'm bookending. No, we're putting a pin in this right away. Copycat. My idea. No, no, no but Never you, do the same no, intro twice. No, but your never. idea was doing a second round. My idea was bookending it. Ah. Uh, because it's about me. Ah. Uh, it's not really about you. It's about the musician and the artistry that the musician brings. Uh, to but the I table. made this pick, and so it's about me. For today, it's about me. I hurt right now. No, no. Oh, am I supposed to care? Oh, he, oh. he just can't. He's yeah. always talking about feelings. Yeah. <laughs> this one right here. Yeah. I'm really a harsh bastard. I just put up a front of being emotional. A front uh, of being emotional and caring. Yeah, yeah exactly. This exactly. is a great uh, setup for today's album. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes, um, uh, a clear lack of empathy is definitely going to work in your favor today. Yeah. Um, so this week's pick is my pick. Um, and it's by an artist that I've been following for a long time. His name is Dan Bull. He's an indie rapper from Britain. Um... And uh, his newest album is called Hip Hop Hooray. Um, it's like his 18th record. I know I'm off on the count a little. No, but I it's, think it's actually 18. It's I was 18. trying to count in, them all. In like a decade or something? It's le- it less than. It was since 2009. What? Yeah, since 2009. He's prolific. He's prolific. Um, mostly I discovered him dabbling in video game related uh, rap songs. You know, not necessarily considering himself a nerdcore, but... An indie rapper who just raps about nerdy things, he because he delves into other stuff on his mainline albums that are not related to gaming. But his gaming tracks often feature instrumentation from the game. Maybe he'll put a beat over it, and then he'll rap about the game or rap about something completely different using the game. Um, he's done rap songs about podcasts he's been on. He's done rap songs about Miley Cyrus, about... Um, uh, homosexuality and gaming, all sorts of different things. In fact, one of the things you spurred us to listen to specifically, and it was, I guess, mostly directed at me, was the uh, Life is Strange song that he did. Yes, which because was, we did that in episode 209. Check it out. But it really felt like it fit the game extremely well without directly borrowing any of the specific, you know, hodgepodge of tracks that were used for that game. Mm-hmm. He essentially either used a song from the game and changed it up enough that it wasn't rec- obviously recognizable, or used an indie song that was in the same vein. Well, there's lots of moments it. in that game where you can just sort of sit back and take it all in. Mm-hmm. And that's a perfect vessel, I think, for his emotional yet still comedic approach. Now, mm-hmm. here's the question. Was that particular song, did that lean toward one or the other? Um, more it felt like, emotional. Yeah, it fact. felt like, like one of those like, like standard indie, indie tracks yeah. that they were going to throw into the game itself. Okay. Yeah. There was comedy in that game, too. Sparsely. sparsely. It was good <laughs> enough. It got me through the first three chapters, and then it just completely left us because of everything that happened. Going dark, back to Dan Bull's comedy, uh, comedy versus not comedy, he does do tracks that are blatantly com- comedy-related. Like, his song about Borderlands 2 is called Back to the Borderlands, and it's just literally him spouting off stuff about the Borderlands series and how excited he is and that he can't wait for the second game. His Dovahkin song was particularly enticing in the same exact sort of thing. Yeah. And so um, he's really songs begging um, the company that makes uh, Skyrim Bethesda to put out another game. He's written songs about E3. He's written a song called Generation Gaming, which is all about how he grew up and how gaming really got him through life and kept him safe and all of that stuff. And so, yeah, he's got a long library of stuff he's done in not a lot of time. Well, he's a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades. According to his website, he does rap music, comedy, and politics, debates, animation, and gaming. And then Lultz. I don't know if Lultz is just another lot- notch on that list, or as in, like, laughs, or is actually a reaction to the list itself. Yeah. I don't I'm going to say that it's probably part of Is it L-U-L-Z? It is. So I wouldn't have said it for so, so <laughs> Lulls, for the lulls is an expression 
akin to trolling in you're doing something just for the laughs. Okay, so, so he does that too. Then it is so a he does laugh. Yeah, he's yeah, a troll. Yeah, so, yeah, he, he, yeah, he's a troll. But he would probably regard his own list that way. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't is. call him a troll. Troll because trolling in and of itself is kind. But he's of a self-aware troll. If he's a self-aware yeah. troll, then he trolls himself too, which right. means it could be either. Someone who's a lulls would actually be there just to promote the conversation because yeah. of trolling, as opposed to being trolling for a troll's sake. Right. Well, which, it's kind of a weird parabola there. He starts off like rap music, comedy, politics, debates, animation, gaming. He comes back up at the end, like. Hey. Sure. Yeah, we're gonna a bell really curve, a Which bell is why curve. he would troll himself oh, at the ridiculousness yeah, 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 of that lineup. Yeah, 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 All right, it's lost on you people. All right. It goes on to further describe him as a geeky rap artist promoting logic, skepticism, and political change through merciless teasing. This is another example of the same. Now on his About Us page, uh, which is probably the most lengthy About Us page I've ever read, uh, and it goes into about himself, as About Us pages do, explains quite a bit more about his personal life. Uh, normally I would read this header, as I do read the stuff you'd find, I guess, prom featured prominently on websites, but this one's a bit lengthy, so I'm just going to summarize this. Obviously, he covers his origins in music, his also his parallel and inherently overlapping life in comedy writing, uh, his full-circle trajectory as an avid YouTuber who garnered some fame, had a working stint for the BBC, seemed to have his foot in the door, but alas, all good things, his triumphant return to indiedom. Uh, he also goes into his love of gaming, like he said, and his musical odes to certain franchises. Then he goes a little bit into politics, and finally his defense of file sharing. Simply put, without file sharing, my music would not exist. So that's one perspective from an artist which you don't always find. The indie community certainly has good reason to defend file sharing, while the other self-made artists tend to decry it as destroying their ability to make an income. And the reason I sneer a little bit at the self-made title is because big artists' success is often the result of a lot of luck, and I think in many ways real self-made artists are the indie guys. There's a lot of luck here too, obviously, but it's generally a more democratic system. And of course, my opinion is that once you are gainfully employed, there should be a compulsion to graduate from the file sharing crutch, but until then, there's a critical age group there of broke teens and 20-somethings who are developing their tastes and discovering new music, and you want to get them any way you can, because they're going to be your devotees, likely for life. So I just thought I'd offer those two cents to supplement the sense that he's obviously contributed to this issue. Uh, su subtle pun there. Subtle. Subtle. Yeah, very <laughs> so subtle. Um, it's also important to note that he's at, at length on his vlogs, which is the best way he communicates to his fans about his hearing issues and uh, problems with his ears popping, painful popping and cracking that he hears, which has effect, affected him, but has not affected his music. He is still a strong uh, writer and musician, and so you know it's unfortunate to see him go through that. He's also very frank about his his personal life, about his uh, struggles with Aspergers and with just in general, how he came to rap music and what he, what motivates him personally to make rap music, whether it's gaming, whether it's his personal life and whatever else in between. Mm. Well, there's two sides to his music itself. One is the fact that he does do still comedic in a lot of ways, but very serious work that is inspired from his personal life, which is what we're getting here today. Uh, that aspect is, is, has its own level of curiosity, but I actually want to talk a little bit more about his gaming rap infusion pieces. Uh, because I want to say maybe five-ish years ago, maybe a full ten years ago, um, it's somewhere between those two years. Uh, one of a really, really tight subset of music's popped up that we've actually talked about before, and that's Wizrock. Yes, Wizard, Wizard Rock. Rock. Mm -hmm. uh, rock 
or rap. Harry Potter-related music, essentially. <laughs> and his gaming music, which I guess really doesn't have a title yet. Nerdcore is one aspect of it, but yeah. Nerdcore doesn't really comprehensively go over all of that sort of stuff. And there are the subgenres of, like, chiptune, which is the 8-bit Sure, and there are some like nerdcore musicians who do, like, I mean, Mega Man's career started out just rapping over Mega Man beats, and it's evolved since then. He does other things, but, but yeah. But curiously, like, he's done a lot of music in that vein, and it's still one of those genres that don't really seem to have a title yet, which is the weirdest thing in the world, because everybody else gets a title. Everybody else has a name for this sort of stuff. So he's kind of pioneering a new aesthetic, or Two one of the point. guys pioneering it, it, that new aesthetic. Yeah, it's an aesthetic also that is inf- infused in nerdcore, and I think the reason he dif- distanced himself from nerdcore is because of the albums outside of Generation Gaming and outside of his gaming music, which are tend to be pretty face value. I mean, he has an album called Face. So here's how I came to Dan Bull. I heard his Borderlands track and his Dovahkiin track, which Dovahkiin, for those who are uh, uninitiated, is uh, the, the lead character from the Skyrim Elder Scrolls game. But going back to that, I heard that song and the Borderlands song, I went huh, this is really awesome. This guy raps about gaming and he does it really well. And as an avid fan of Nerdcore at that point, I was intrigued, so I checked it out. Around that same time, he released his album Face for free, which he said, you know, this is my full-length album. If you like my other stuff, maybe you want to check this out. And was pretty much, not pleading, but asking his fans who engaged him on YouTube, hey, here's a thing that I'm really proud of that I did that's not necessarily the gaming stuff. Mm. Check it out. And I did, and I was blown away. Well, I think the aesthetic, I wouldn't exactly call it new because I have seen this done in other areas. It's more just, the, I think it, what you said earlier is really the, the crux of it. It's just that he is a rapper of quality who does things in this vein. And I think that's really what separates him. It's not that the, the rest is all, you know, crap, but it's just a lot of people, you know, it, it's it's fan art. It's, it's in the same vicinity of of fan fiction, of just kind of paying homage to something you love. And it's 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 a very, very large genre because, in general, a lot of people like to do that. But in his case, there's just so much powerful wordsmithing there. And it applies to his uh, original work, which is, as always, what I'm a little bit more interested in, which is, I think it's a good, it's a good uh, pointer in that direction to say, hey, if this is what I do on my spare time, then go right. check out that stuff. Well, sure. And, like, the strength, the stronger nerdcore rappers that I really like, your MC Large, your MC Frontalot, yeah. The Dark Lord, the list goes on. If I didn't name you and you know me personally, you can send me hate mail. It's fine. I love you guys, where, too. Where did they send it at? <laughs> uh, Matt.Storm at CrashCourse.com. Michael we Kill, I'm looking at you. They, we got him. That's uh, the first one. That's right, that's right. But um, but no, like I mean, seriously, Michael Kill and, and Dr. Awkward, like the list goes on, but those artists are the artists who do songs about Final Fantasy, but then also do a song about their struggle with growing their brand, with no longer doing rap about life and doing rap about games and the loss of character. Yeah. Like those kinds of things. They expand beyond it. It the, the people who just do songs about video games have their place too, but that's where there may not be as much growth. Maybe there's growth in the music, but not in the content. Who knows? The point I think I want to make about Dan Bull is that I was interested by his gaming stuff, and I still continue to be interested in his gaming stuff. But while I started out listening to that exclusively, I now almost never listen to it and mostly listen to his six or seven albums that have less to do with gaming. So and it, that worked, are, it worked for you, essentially. Right. Uh, yes. And so that album, Face, really hooked me. And since then, of course, I have In the Garden, I have... He's had other albums since. He did a whole mixtape 
rapping over a Nas record. I'm blanking on the actual Nas record he rapped over, but it was impressive. Um, I've been a fan of his work for quite some time, and I'm really, really into it. So I guess let's go into the album artwork, as we tend to do at the start of records these days, um, trying to integrate that more, because I think album artwork is something that's often overlooked as people don't buy physical media anymore. Which is why I've actually been waiting for an album cover like today's album cover, because we're always inspired by the ones that kind of like, you know, they turn our heads. Oh, like, wow, what's such fascinating artwork? You know, but let's, let's be blunt about today's album cover. It's, it's Dan Bull. Against the wearing a blue T-shirt against a blue backdrop with what almost looks like Comic Sans font. I would argue. Saying, I would say it is Comic Sans. Dan Bull and the album title Hip Hop Hooray. But and like, that, I've been waiting to do this because this is an album cover we would never talk about yeah. before we actually had the standard of doing it, which is why I thought it would be a nice little challenge for us. But it also bears discussing his, no, no, it bears discussing his previous album covers yep. specifically the fact that they were always very minimalistic mm-hmm. usually just two his tone. logo it's 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 that's the key the logo yeah it's a cassette tape with bullhorns which, which is but, a great logo but this is the specifics i want to talk about this is the first one where it's not a cassette tape with his logo and the name of the album right underneath it it's him wearing his logo it actually is a pull back from the standard of the cassette tape with horns, underneath it'll say something like Primal or Bombshell or something to that effect and have a two-tone coloration. Here, first off, three tones. It's his actual physical skin pigmentation showing up. His shirt is blended into the background and it has his logo right on the chest in white with the words <laughs> underneath it like you normally expect. But the fact that you're actually picturing the artist implies it's going to be a more personal record than his standard work. It's oh, actually... The BS is ripe today. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a very subtle connection to what he's done previously artistically. Well, so, no, so here's the thing is that I should step in and, 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 and say that that's not 100% true. His album, The Garden, did have an animated... Uh, album cover of people in a garden at a barbecue and but for the majority his albums do tend to be two-tone i mean the that first album i was talking about face is a gray background a white cassette tape with the horns and the word face well i would say it reaches a little bit back to the file sharing thing that i discussed that he is an artist who relishes in being in the indie scene and having a fan base from the ground up rather than the top down. In which case, you'd find a lot of stuff that just looks like, you know, kind of anyone could put it together. Almost. I like, I'm, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. This is a very, it, it is made to look extremely simplistic. Yes. And it's just him. Yeah. It's him on the front saying, hey, <laughs> here I am. Yeah. Hands up and all. And I think that's just kind of a subtle way of saying, hey, this is kind of going to be about me a little bit. There will be some tongue in cheek. Look at the way he's smiling on that album right. cover. Right. He's, he's pr- the way he's kind of doing a hip hop hooray kind yeah. of raise the roof, but very kind of awkwardly. And he's. He has chess presented. I think it's very much like it's meant to look goofy, but yes, the subtext is, this is me. So I I don't want to squash on what John just said. It was all very pretty. But (laughs) I feel that I was was with you last week on the the, uh, Amaterasu cover. You you did good on that one. I know a little bit about art, all right? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to turn it down, though. I get myself 
out of trouble. When you're using Comic Sans font as, uh, as by the way, my middle school, they demanded that we did every single paper in this. It was really? the most ridiculous. Really? Because Times New Roman is I know. significantly well, first of all, more intense for writing. This is middle writing. school, and it had to do with the kind of school that I went to also. They were just, they, they were convinced that Comic Sans was the future. I don't uh, know. <laughs> oh, you sure they weren't just trying to make you express yourself? Maybe. The, uh, that's the, well, uh, enjoy. I, I, I would argue to take a, a page out of John's book, though, Comic Sans is really telling also. Think about Comic Sans as a font. Typically, it's laughed at. Typically, yes. it's written off. Yes. Him using it is kind of going, I know you might write me off because I'm a funny guy. But Yes. And so I think it adds to that. And, and I think that's a really good point. See? See? Today, Matt gets the point. I, I prompted him on point. that, though. I made a good point. But, um, we'll get to you. <laughs> but, but I also want to talk about uh, something about Dan Bull before we get into the album, is that he's very candid. Like I said, he does vlogs. He's often talked about his struggles and his issues, his surgeries, very candidly with his fans. The first track, also, I believe the second music video, I think Stroking a Cat, which comes later, was the first, um, um, was based on a gag. So he was diagnosed with an, a severe allergy to broccoli and he's done other videos that are like a broccoli induced hallucination and so rug buggery as a music video was that it was broccoli bars 2 a follow-up to broccoli bars called rug buggery on the album they dropped all of that and just called it rug buggery but it's a it's an interesting music video to just to have an excuse to be kind of goofy as this character, well, it's Dougalby. Of, it's kind of this outer lens. You yeah. can take I, I Obviously, at first, I did not see the music video, and I just heard the song. In which case, well, we'll get to that. I have stuff to say about this song, but just if you view it through the lens of the music video, then it's all just the bubble inside a bubble. And the bubble is a hallucination, because he licked the broccoli, as as is often said about mushrooms. When you lick mushrooms, you get crazy hallucinations. And although I never heard of a hallucination arising from an allergy... Uh, it, I mean, am I wrong? Is that a medical no, thing? Yeah, that can happen. I mean, it, it can. It depends happen. on how severe the allergy is, but sure. A hallucination, really? Just like fevers can, fevers can induce hallucinations, and if your allergy is severe enough, it can induce a fever. I've just never heard of a broccoli allergy. Like, well, that's, that's one thing that I do find curious, and I, I just never heard of broccoli causing that. Well, let's get to the meat of it then. Uh, let's get this right off the bat. This is... This is the most British thing ever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's British, but he is hamming it up in this track. Uh, posh, as they say over there. A pole so far up his behind he can barely walk. But hey, at least he can talk. And what is he talking about? Rugby. Another very, very British thing. And we probably should mention he's from Bromsgrove, I believe. That's, yeah. I think it's in uh, Worcestershire. Yes. Or at least that's what we say when we're talking about the sauce, because we never have to talk about the place over here. But... Rugby, or in his case, Rugbuggery, is really just a vessel, I think, for the smack-talking rap track, which normally I want to get this out right now, I'm not the biggest fan of. I've made this clear in other rap albums that we've reviewed. Like, yeah, throw your balls around a little more, why not? And all amidst a song that generally I don't find particularly attractive any other capacity. But here, oh, this is quite different, because he is constantly ex interchanging the analogy, equating wordsmithing to prowess on the rugby field, and second, the almost hypnotizing like elocution of his flow, which just oozes that cartoonishly hoity-toity pompous Brit. I, I could not get enough of it. Even on, on the very first listen of this track, I had it stuck in my head for, for days, days. Everywhere I went, it was just, even his accent without words to match them was just kind of following me around. And it all comes down to just the use of the word Duggleby. 
Duggleby. Rhyming off of this singular word yep. throughout the entire track. Which is his, his track. pseudonym, I suppose. Right. It's his pseudonym. I believe it's also his production, his production company. Most of his videos uh, end with the cassette image and the word Duggleby underneath it. So I think it's something he's been using for a very long time. But Duggleby as the only word that you're going to be rhyming off of doesn't leave you too many choices. He goes through like 40 of them, and it's it's just phenomenal, the twists and turns of this, this wordsmithing. They call me Duggleby. I tackle issues like Ruggleby, a blend of gentlemanliness and thuggery. I'll glass you with some very expensive bubbly, bloody luxury. Bone cutlery protrudes from your wounds, buggery. Oh, a scrummage, lovely jubbly. A useful excuse to induce you to cuddle me. The two teams squeeze together quite snugly, rummaging and fumbling with undiscovered subtlety. Oh, that's just... Ah, it's and just, it keeps going too for another half a verse. I can't even yeah, <laughs> describe no. how how amazing that flow is, and of course, it, it the comedic qualities of it really lend to my attraction to this writing style. But sure. Well, because also having a braggadocio track and then making it ridiculous just adds to it. It's a, an artist who's done it before, who I really like, and I don't want to make too many comparisons. But MC Farnalot has a song called Braggadocio where it's just over the top bragging about. All of these things that he's never done, that he's saying he's done. And when artists who brag do that and kind of blow it out of proportion, I find it's really entertaining. I also really like the chorus, which comes later, because of the way it's delivered, it's sung instead of rapped, really, and it's the way he rolls his R's in the chorus. It's really entertaining to me, because it's almost over theatric, overly theatrical. He's over-delivering on it on purpose to add the more hamminess to it. Like you said, yeah, he's hamming it up, and he certainly hams it up in the chorus, but it's it's nice to hear that in melody as well, because very often accents can kind of get lost in melody, and here he keeps it the entire time. So also... There's a beat at first, which is where you get this nice beat. Whether you rap, whether you rock, or whether you roll, I insist that you relinquish all control. That high note right there, ah, I just, I get wrapped up in it at that point. And a lot of this also is because of the music. I don't want to leave that at the door because that's actually a huge part of the hypnotism of this track. See, when I first heard this, I thought it was a mandolin, but then I figured, I think it's just a plucked violin. Or it could be one and then the other, I'm not quite sure. But then combined with the tuba at the bottom, it's sort of equally as irresistible as his as his singing style and his rapping style. And in this case, I'm quite the advocate for the simplicity of it all. It's on a fairly constant loop in the verses, and that just, it all adds to the hypnotic effect. It's almost like we're at a fair. This is vaudeville, yeah. sort of thrown through, but vaudeville rap, which is something I, those are two words you never really thought you'd hear together. Mm-hmm. It happened. Uh... It's not something I can really move on from yet because it really just is a content I don't even care about. Honestly, I don't care about because he's, yeah, the hypnotizing element is there. But the content's actually a really solid metaphor of using rugby and his explanation of how good he is at rugby and all the other little things that are, go along with it. It's like how, he's good at a lot of different things in this track. Yeah. Duggleby's pretty awesome, and you should accept him as being pretty awesome. <laughs> but the overuse of his accent, because this is a lot thicker now than it is later on in the album. He's sort of not just hemming it up in other ways. It's He's really laying it on very heavily, almost like it's, quote-unquote, proper English or well, high-class English it, or something like that. As I said like in the beginning, it's posh. Yeah, and this combined with the kind of circus makes me feel like he is a grandmaster introducing us <laughs> to this story. It's 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 so overblown. I can't see him being presented as anything but like a ringleader or the master of ceremonies for like 
this experience, the circus that we're being introduced to. And it's very just enthralling and very inviting to be, you know, seeing this larger than life persona and just like going, okay, cool. What, what's, what's this show about? I don't even care. It's going to be fun. Well, and I think also what's important to say about the music is I think we have to officially redact and remove every time we've used the word jaunty because it applies here more than anywhere else ever. I just, the sense of the music, Yeah, there's no way to not get wrapped up in the theatricality of the, it all. Well, then again, I think that has to do more with his vocals than the music. True. Because the music on its own, I could almost see in other capacities. Like the way John said, it's almost like vaudeville. You, sure. It has the almost sneaky quality to it mm -hmm. that it almost seems like he's trying to do a run around you or something like that but then you go back to the vocals and he's just he's brimming with excitement he's in awe at himself it almost seems in this track but one more thing about the music because of course the music does change up in one instance a very important instance and that's the chorus while he's singing suddenly the music gets a little bit more melodic as well and it's just as sneaky here and for a very specific reason um, it's relatively similar in terms of the melody but the violin is now bowed instead of being plucked and I particularly enjoyed how the violin, it's bowed in such a way that the decay of each note is really, really pronounced. It creates this neat volume oscillation effect, which next to the accent, every other beat, you can just lose yourself in. And also, there's a lot of note bends. Almost each note that the violin strikes bends down a little bit with the volume dip. But then also at the end of the phrase, in stereo, you get this dramatic phrase break, almost like a slash. So at the end of that little that little melody, da 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 da, da wow, and yeah. then the next phrase, and it repeats that. I ah, I was, I was adoring every aspect of this. It was just addicting in in so many ways, which is why I said what I said at the beginning. I am an advocate for the simplicity of this piece. It's what makes it an incredibly catchy single. Yeah, and I think also going back to what you were talking about the music and him sounding almost sneaky. It actually I. And I think this, I'm sure this is intentional, but his delivery in the video and his presentation reminds me of an snidely whiplash from uh, Dudley Do-Right, this kind of like mustache twirling, maniacal, yes, but exactly. dashing character. And I get a sense of that from his delivery as well as the structure of the song, which I think is really fun. Yeah, and also just the little touches here, the ways in which he plays around with certain words, of course, raps raconteur, back on tour, I'll blap a crap reviewer, sacre bleu, huh. Like that little, that little Pause there. You don't quite expect, and you don't even realize what has just been said until yeah. until you kind of have to process it. But you you notice it in the pauses, which is what I think is the mark of a really really good flow artist. And he has his own brand, that's for sure. I have not. This is what really distinguishes his aesthetic for me. It's it's not a flow that I've really heard in any other rapper. I, I the last time I was as impressed by a certain flow was with Aesop Rock. But this is a different kind of thing entirely. There's not even really a comparison. They're just separate talents. Sure, and I think that for me, something that I've always liked about his delivery is he he very much, there's a lot of himself in his delivery, or at least a lot of what I surmise is himself. Except that this track is perhaps not the instance right. to speak about that, because he's totally in character here, sure. and you can, you, he knows he's in character, and, and you're just along for the ride. I mean, I also really love how clever these lyrics are, not only just with the flow, but just the word play, and then Going back to the instrumentation one more time, the use of strings and horns here for this song, I think, is different for me being a fan of Dan Bull. I can't think of an instance where he's done something like this before, so it feels fairly new to me as a fan of his work. But what this track does, which kind of gets changed in the next piece, British Teeth, is it set me up for a different expectation than what was delivered with British Teeth. Because this piece 
rugbuggery is not very indicative of the overall sound of the album itself. When we move on, the next piece sounds a little bit more standardized. It sounds like it's drawing a little bit more heavily from what you expect rap to sound like. Uh, in the in the gangster rap vein, there's yeah. just something in that in that recurring loop in the background, which I just I kind of feel like I've heard before. It's reminiscent to me of like crunk rap or something in the vein of that, mm. and something that's usually revolving around baggageocio or partying. Yeah, well, braggart. Being a braggart, but here. It's interesting because what he's bragging about is unique to him, or at least for sure, in this case, I can't think of anyone else who would rap about it. Of course, with the song title being called British Teeth, he, in fact, is rapping about his British teeth and how he's proud of his his face, his jaw, his mouth, and all its form and all its glory. But he kind of twists it around. He mm-hmm. almost like paints it like you may think. You may think whatever you want to about your teeth, but in the end, you're just, just jealous. jealous of my you're British just teeth. jealous. So well, of course, that's the that's the, the through line that this album keeps is constantly hammering home the British element. Of course, this time it's in the title, and I noticed that the shades of his British accent keep evolving throughout this track. It's it's obvious for like half a line it, in certain times that he's doing impressions. He, For instance, he does that little impression of Ricky Gervais. I'm a little bit like Ricky Gervais. Just in that yeah, one, uh-huh. for a syllable almost, he's in the accent and then he steps right out of it, if he was hit with a brick in the face. And then actually for face, he kind of slips back into it just for the sake of the rhyme, which was equally interesting. He's also not just doing little bits of that, he's, he's changing his delivery to change up the overall feel. Sometimes he feels sweet, sometimes he feels like he's definitely attitude-driven, sometimes he sounds just a little bit angry. Um, I'm especially fond of the attitude parts where he's he's giving a lot of hard consonants in a row mm-hmm. and he's really forcefully projecting his voice yeah, like to, that. To, to, to impact, to really just like be like, you love me. Well, Look at all that spit. I've got a mouth like a star like pit. <laughs> yeah, like that, those emphases pronu- right those there. Pronunciations, the way the on yeah. it for like as if he yeah. was spitting. It's almost impossible for me to do that because that was a separate little sound bite of someone spitting, but then on the that's actually the beat where he says the I've at the exact same time, which yeah. is why it's impossible for one person to do that unless I actually had access to a little looping machine, <laughs> but I don't for the podcast. But- also in the chorus here um, of this track, because we're, we're leading up to that, the wordplay kind of ends, and when we hit the chorus, it's just aggression, but it's raw aggression being proud of his teeth and how vicious of a beast he is. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't go that route. This yeah. one, I would actually say it's more, or not more, aggression. It's, it's, it's machismo. More, no, no, it's whiny. The Eminem brand of whiny hooks, which is, it does definitely have the aggression, because that's what he would infuse into it. But it's 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 a little bit childlike and a little bit not actually confrontational. It is aggressive, but he's more aggressive in the grand scheme that he's not calling anybody out. He's just very proud of who he is, which is kind of how Eminem always tried to do it. So I'm seeing that sort of connection between the two. It's not a, you know, you're right. I don't think aggression is the right word here. I think it's just, it's a self-confident to the point of almost being a flaw. Yeah, no, that's you know? exactly sure. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But he specifically but, but, but because it's a about flaw. such a silly subject. Yeah, yeah. because it's which generally perceived as a flaw by most. I mean, within the first few lines here, I was a jolly good child, but never had a Hollywood smile. I probably should be bothered, but I'm not, because my gob is just a part of my ebullient style. Charming, funny, and vile, like Stan Cartman, Kenny, and Kyle. Met a woman, it was good for a while. Then I grinned and had her running a mile. It's clear, like, he's definitely lost a few things, a few benefits as a result of having this, this affliction, you know, but it's not like 
like it's really that weird people have bad teeth anywhere you go it's always common but it's like he presents it at first as there having been a loss, but then he spins it around and says, hey, you know, it's what makes me unique at the end of the day. Yeah. And, is, of course, there are some, like, come on, line up, ladies. <laughs> he's proud of it. Yeah, essentially it comes around to him being proud, which is a through line for chunks of this record. And I think ultimately this song boils down to that, is that he's proud of his British teeth and he thinks people are just jealous of him. But let's go back to the music for a moment, and there's a reason we really haven't talked about it, is that... Honestly, I find it very underwhelming. There's not much going on besides a deep beat and the high-pitched counterpoint with distorted scream work throughout just as light little touches. I would agree that the, the there's not a ton to the instrumentation here. I think the highlight is for sure on the lyricism for this track. It's all about the attitude and the delivery. I think music-wise, it does tend to repeat on itself. It doesn't even change up a little bit like the previous track did. But I was I was personally willing to forgive it a little because I was entranced by the narrative of it, of him being braggy. But I can see how that could weigh on you if you're really afflicted by the repetition. Well, it's mostly because of the contrast of the first track. Sure. I got something... I can see that. Very different, as repetitive, but very different from my expectations. And here, expectations were met as far as yeah. rap is concerned. And that was something that was disconcerting. Uh, outside the vocabulary and the actual lyrical work, like, it was not enough to really keep me going as far as what, you know, Rug Buggery really set up as, as loving this album. But, right what, I, but I wanna, what I do want to argue and harp on, though, here is that the content of this track is against the norm for rap. In general, rapping about his teeth and in this way is against the norm. So even if the beat itself is very close to the norm, Nothing else about the track is, and so that's where I'm willing to forgive it. All right, I was pretty silent on this issue when we were uh, listening in our, in our group listen, because honestly, I wanted to be the tiebreaker here a little bit. As far as this particular track is concerned, we're only on track two. Track one wowed me with, with the music. I know that this track didn't particularly. I didn't care. I didn't <laughs> care at this moment. I'm actually full fully on Matt's side with this one. Now, I, I I was silent because I know John is bringing up a point that does become a little bit more relevant later in the album. It kind of becomes relevant on the album scale, but in this particular track, I wanted to emphasize the fact that his f flow has, unlike so many previous cases, and I'm always critical about this when I, when I encounter rap albums, it's like, come on, just put a little bit more in the music, a little bit more in the music, but every once in a while, you will find that one artist, that one rapper who makes you completely forget it, and this time it happened. Yeah. So in other words, it's, it's back to the old thing, where sometimes when certain strengths are just really, really, really high, then I can say, yeah, you know what, that other stuff is not really as important, because then it becomes more of a spotlighting kind of feature. So in this case, I was fully on board, and there are lines in here that, that we're not even touching upon. I, I, we need to get to them because they're so incredibly well written. My dentist was the gentlest. She never did a thing that was senseless. She sensibly selected medical consensus over aesthetic pretenses. That is phenomenal writing right there. <laughs> that is I an amazing I vocabulary. I don't care about the music and I'm never on this front and that I is, need to establish that. That is an incredible vocabulary, which is probably the 
biggest factor that uh, is what keeps but me it's going not in this just, early part. It's not just vocabulary. Anyone can look up, can go to a thesaurus. This was an evolving rap style. He didn't stick with the same thing he had in the first track, and he didn't stick with the same thing he had earlier in this track. You never feel a stable form has just been reached and agreed upon in in his work. And this 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 vice that that all words must fit and be ch be channeled through. Instead, his flow actually adapts to the story he wants to tell. And there's a little twist in the story here. His dentist was fine. Was absolutely fine. It was a great dentist. Never really had any problems. So why do his teeth look the way they do? It's almost a ridiculous notion. But if you read closely into that line, she sensibly selected medical consensus over aesthetic pretenses. By being too good of a dentist, well, they never they never did anything about the look of it all. Just made sure that his teeth were healthy. His teeth were healthy. Yeah, yeah. go go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, though, going back to what I was talking about, how this track is a bragging track, I think that definitely carries over into track three, Sellout, which is also a track that is designed in self-pride and, and kind of a puffed chest believing in oneself. Well, I just want to leave the previous track because I may never get to say another, another <laughs> thing on it. By the end of that track, I almost wished that I had British teeth. Wow. That's how he made me feel. I, I've had braces twice, and yet listening to the wow, song, twice? I'm like... Yeah, twice. I only had them once. Yeah, I had the real braces, and then I had the Invisalign. Uh -huh. So yeah, definitely a spoiled stateside yeah. person <laughs> here in terms of braces. But uh, and which, by the way, he brings up. He actually says, it's "Got them whitened. I might get them straightened, but I kind of like to frighten the states with them." <laughs> See? So he, and it, there you go. He did it. Made his, and he made me jelly, as he said he, he did, was going to do. Make you jelly. So uh, all right. So, now you can press along. So so back to what I was saying. The song "Sellout" is also him bragging about his station in life and what he really wants out of life as far as a music career and his own career and this instrumentally is much brighter and upbeat than the previous two tracks you know track one was fairly upbeat as well but in a kind of different way this definitely is sounds almost like a cliche victory song in the it instrumentation is, it is a confrontational song definitely it's almost like a uh, a comeback song. Well, like, it's like I've beating been, your I've, chest kind of well, thing. To well, to me, it's, all right, it's, it was an archetypal rap song parody because it's the one to me where things get a little bit more serious. It's it's the from the heart kind of track. It, in this case, it's him having sold out, supposedly, and he twisted around from being a regret almost at the beginning. I have a confession to make. I sold out, right? As if this is going to be the thing about his career, which a lot of rap songs do. They have that one little, you know, how I how I had do, did what I had to do in order to, to get famous or whatever. But then he twisted around into the No Regrets track because, of course, him selling, his, ver his version, his sarcastic version of selling out is doing exactly what it is that he's doing. It's his se if selling out means being an indie artist and actually avoiding many chances uh, to really sell out, then if selling out means to go straight to the chorus, to make a living playing games, to make a living saying things, to start my day by writing rhymes, to never have to work a nine to five, to be my own manager, to get rich off of what I did when I was amateur, I'm the one that's doing things, the rest of you are talking, how can I have sold out? I never bought in. So, it, at first, but then, of course, there's a call and response there constantly. To make a living playing games? Hell yeah. They're a little yeah. answer. And, of course, if it, the implication is if that's selling out, then yeah, sure, why not? I did. Right. He's, he's fighting his haters. I yeah. mean, it's yeah, yeah essentially, it's, that's the track it is, yeah. It's the call out, like, uh, sorry, you guys kind of suck, so I'm doing what I love, whoop-de-doo. Yeah, like, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. 
You can F tell off. me I suck. Great. F off. I'm doing what I love. So do what you want. Which I think is also a direct response to his home of YouTube where he started, where people tend to not always be so nice there in the comment section. Well, it's what? just he had a dream. He stuck to it. And he kind of got it. Yeah. I aspired to be Eminem meets Monty Python with enough cash stockpiled to live my life on. And now I'm getting there. I tell myself, nice one. Yeah. But... His inflection seems to have taken a little bit of a downturn for me. He lost a lot of the mutability and variability he had in the previous work. At the same time, I feel like his turn of phrase has actually gone upwards here. Like, he got simpler in the delivery, but the actual words being said, while maybe not as involved as some of his earlier lines, I'm liking the actual framing of them a lot more here than some of his other stuff. To me, that only has to do with the fact that, of course, this is the real message. We got two jokes in a row. This is the one that's actually about his real life. That's what I was going to say. This track is more candid, and so I think that's why it's delivered the way it is. So while I hear your, I guess, complaint or flaw... I think it's intentional, so we kind of have to look past it a little. No, it's 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 certain little like allusions and aspects that he's using that are really st uh, standing out to me. Life is an RPG, and we need more than XP. So LARP with me. I won't charge a fee if you impress me. Do it deftly, and there's no end to what you can get free. I love to chase success. I state that expressly. I've never compromised my mission or integrity. Like his. His, his rapidity of changing the way he's saying things isn't there anymore. He's not changing his inflection, but his change in message, his turning on a dime is really, really astute. And that's what's standing out for me. And so I'd say that, but so I wouldn't count it as a flaw personally. I would just say it's a change. Well, no, I'm not saying it's necessarily a flaw. It's okay. just a different aspect of his rapping style that's not he, that he hasn't really portrayed yet I think on this album. I think Correct. it's more that you you get to pick up a little bit more of a narrative in this, which is yeah. which is interesting because very often that gets constrained too. Stories have to be kind of like I said before in the last track, you know, kind of constrained by the vice that is the format right. that he's using. But in this case that really isn't much of an impasse. If you look at the third verse, just the just read this almost as if you were reading, you know, a paragraph from a novel. I'm not the wolf of Wall Street. I'm just the bull that balls deep in every opportunity for improvement I see before me. A song with product placement creates a complication, even when accompanied by an honest statement. And if I want to be an honored statesman, I've got to make it proper blatant, so I'm only going to say it once. My songs are entertainment. That's not a concrete statement. And if you take a rap track as fact then you are mistaken. Well, yeah, because I'm sure doing all of the rapping he's done about gaming, gaming companies have approached him to do something that's glowingly positive about something he may not have known. A lot of YouTubers actually eventually start getting approached depending on their popularity level. But so, you, you see my point how there's really yeah. no there's really no pause there in the flow of that story being yeah. told. It's and it was just a, and it was a, a complex story. idea, yeah. really, when you think about it. It's not it's not just, you know, it's not I'm all that or something kind of generalized. Yeah, which he's being are, very precisely yeah. specific about how he won't shill out for something he doesn't believe in. Yeah. If something's good, it's because he said it's good, not because someone's paying him to say it's good. And that's important to say, because again, coming from the YouTube generation, that becomes more and more common that there's this fear that if someone's presenting a product sponsored by the creator, that there, it's inherently full of lies because they want to just promote it. Well, right. that's something that a lot of people don't seem to understand, I guess, especially because nowadays ad reads are right in the beginning of YouTube yeah. or something like that. And when you hear somebody in music, it hasn't permeated to... This has been brought to you by 
blank yeah. in the title of a track nowadays. So when someone starts saying something nice about Rolex, maybe they actually did get paid when in in a, in a uh, an endorsement or something like that by Rolex. Right. Like it's a thing and people don't realize that sort of stuff, which leads to a whole nother level of society and how it endorses its idols and blah 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 blah, which is a whole separate target in a lot of ways. But here he's basically he, he wants to say I'm you think I'm fake? You think I sold out and everything like that? Well, no. I'm just doing right by me. I made it this far. Let me have it. Yeah. And if not, screw you. It's most blunt in the last little portion of that final verse, which is, Perhaps your perspective would be turned round if you'd assessed the perspective shit that I'd turned down. I've spurned thousands of pounds from powerful people because I just found out how their treating creatures isn't peaceful. And so to all my critics and my haters, God bless. I'm not a sellout. Nah, I'm a success. Yeah. He's a success. I like that pause right there. I love that pause right there. That was kitschy. Because I'm sure he's playing on the fact that I'm sure people tell him in comments or whatever else that he sucks, and he's playing on Some of the other things I believe he he speaks about, people telling him where to go and what to die from. Yeah. If I'm not not mistaken. If it's not in this track, it's in another track on this album. Like, yeah, no. He talks about the haters. Yeah, for sure. Um, From here we go to track four, which... He toys with us a little bit uh, on a track uh, called, which is a joke he makes. He makes that joke. That's right. Um, but this is track four called Toys, which for me, I simply call call the ode to the toy collector. As someone who grew up with far too many toys, this is a song essentially on the structure of it, I, which I think is quite brilliant, is it's a name-dropping song, which happens a lot in rap where you drop the names of all the people you know and all these famous people you've worked with. But instead, he's name-dropping specific toy brands or products. Which is great because, A, Sellout was about how he would never talk about things unless he truly loved them. So he so must he, truly love he, these. He drops 30 endorsements in the next track. B, it works extremely well as far as name-dropping is concerned because he's not talking about the people that brought him to this point in his life. He's talking about the toys that made his imagination good enough for him to do the things that he did. Right. Which is a great way of putting it. Take those two things. It's a really cool concept. But it's really that skin deep for me. As far as nostalgia goes, it hits all the right buttons with... Duplex and Lego and, well, they're action figures, not dolls, line from the track. Mm. But once you get past that, there's not a whole lot going on. But I want to take something that you said. It's that skin deep for me, John. It's just that skin deep. All this track is designed to do is just that. So to try and find something more, it's not there. I hear you. Previously, there were other things for me to actually latch on to. But I'm saying... Previous track, it was the actual uh, turn of phrase. And the the track before that, it was because of its varying inflection. The track before that, it was the music. Here, I don't really have any element besides the nostalgia. And that's something I could discredit pretty quickly. I feel like you're making the wrong argument. Because in many ways, I've got British teeth and they're awesome is a pretty skin deep <laughs> idea. It was yeah. made palatable by the fact that it was told in such a captivating way. Right. Uh, to me, this is where a different part of your critique really rises, and that is the music. This was a bigger problem in this track because I didn't quite have the the flow 
captivating qualities, I guess, that I had back in British Teeth. I know that's like weird, splitting hairs between a track called British Teeth and a track called Toys. But it has to do with just, you know, this was, it, it was a down-to-earth, I-love-my-toys kind of track, and that's all well and good. I have no problem with the directness of that message, and there is a little bit of layering there. Obviously, he says it made him who he is. He's glad he played because it, 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 it spurred his imagination, you know? If you don't play with things, then you wouldn't be the same person you are today. He makes that point. That is definitely a layer. But the, the problem is, of course, the music. This rang like more of a club track to me, and I and that was just, it was a tool. It was a tool, a vessel for getting the words out, which most people are inclined to say that is enough for a rap track, but I do believe there usually has to be something else, unless it's not important next to a shining thing like, for instance, how magical his vocals are or, or his flow. And here, they were good. They were just, they were, they were good. I didn't have any problems. It just, maybe it was something almost hard to put my finger on that just didn't reel me in in quite the same way, which is why I think it's fair to bring up at least one thing about why I'm not as critical of the music on the whole on this record, and that's because of the thing we mentioned at the beginning. He's an indie artist um, who turns out a lot of music, 18 albums. I think it's a matter of it, it's a little bit of a necessity for him that he actually needs to kind of make this music in a little bit of an expedient fashion to get it there because he prefers to, his his talent, his real talent is the, the, the lyrical work. And so he puts his time into that part. And it's still a miracle he can get out 18, 18 albums. It's just that you're not going to get that, that moment by moment evolving musical material that we normally like to see. Otherwise, you just would not have the, the, the content that he has that I think he needs in order to make a living. I have a curious question that I'd like to ask. I always suppose the question's not curious. My, your answers are curious to me. I don't know where I'm going with this. But the question, nevertheless, is I'm curious if both of you were toy collectors or are toy collectors. You know my business. I'm still a toy collector. Okay, and I'm, Steve? He runs a toy shop. It's true. Steve? I, I, uh, I had a lot of toys. I was an only child, so I got a little spoiled in that regard. I didn't get spoiled in everything. I don't okay. consider myself an, an archetypal spoiled child, but I, I definitely... Had enough toys that I was very passionate about. I guess in terms of collecting, there were only a few areas that I liked to get, like, really fill out that one. It was mm-hmm. Miniature cars was the okay. one. I really and, liked Majorette cars. <laughs> and was, for me, I collected a lot of a variety of different toys. I collect less now because I share space with someone else who doesn't want a bajillion toys, which is legit. I get that. Where no animosity. Where, where are they at, though? What storage uh, facility? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but I think house. I do have to say that I think a lot of my love from this track, and it might not have been enough for you guys, but for me, a lot of my love for this track is him mentioning specific toys that I had or that I wanted. I mean, to get a little ahead of myself and then we'll go back, the final line that he just talks at the end of the track is about a specific Beetlejuice coffin toy that would make a thing disappear in it that I had and I loved. And having that tangible reference to something I owned was pretty fun for me. One of the lines struck a chord. Specifically, I love cyber pets of either sex. My Tamagotchi got treated, spoilt, and overfed. He was hella podgy. Felt godly I was the one to whom AI would look up, but I couldn't get my Furby to shut the fuck up. <laughs> and specifically, I have an anecdote in that about six or seven years after I had thought I got rid of my Furby, I heard the goddamn creep talking in one of my closets, and it was still going, 
I'm hungry. And it was creepy as all hell. I found it six years later. First of all, I'm surprised you had a Furby. Everybody had every one of those sort of toys. I had Tamagotchis. But, I had all that sort of stuff. So this actually But our age group, I thought that was a little bit uh, after you. Well, it was probably my brother's, but it was like one yeah, of those things. Right. My, I got one, my brother's got one. Because Whatever. they're both younger. Just for but, reference but, 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 also but, but, about but, but, Furbies. But, 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 but. Like, that speaks specifically to my probably, like, early teens. Like, okay, that is... yourself a bit. Yeah, okay, I'm 31. That, like, hits, (laughs) that hits the heart. Like, right there. I have a legitimate memory to really point out that, especially the Tamagotchi thing. Couldn't bring him to school. It was terrible. But that goes so far for me. Fair enough. And that's where I'm getting a division between the nostalgia enjoyment and everything else. Well, yeah, it's also splitting hairs on, like, when you got into... We're all generally in the same vicinity, and that yeah. also includes Dan Bull. We're all really in... So, of course, it, it's a little bit of an age-specific kind of track. Sure. Because all these 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 uh, toys are going to be like, yeah, I pre- if you throw in 30 of them, one of them is, is probably yeah. going to have made an appearance in... Uh, I mean, he talks about world. Pogs, too, which, like... Yeah, I had... Yeah. A safe one is Legos, and I definitely uh, had Duplo, a lot of Legos. Mighty Max, which I don't Never think many Duplo. people would get. Duplo were the I, bigger blocks that see, that you got before Legos. <laughs> so it's a little bit it's a little bit of a cheap shot, but yeah. I guess just the fact that we're even going down this little memory lane is probably exactly what he wanted to induce. Yeah, and so while and and like I said, that extra layer that I said the the fact that if you don't play with toys, your imagination wouldn't be the same, and it's a little bit of a topical thing because of course today. I feel that maybe children are getting less toys because, of course, they have the electronic component, which is kind of like an easy out, which is supposedly... Yeah, we supposedly... had Tamagotchis and Game Boys. Well, and I yeah, mean... that was our electronic component. Well, Everything yeah. else was very physical, w- but I... modern kids, it's been theorized that in the, you know it might not stimulate their imagination in the same way to play with physical objects. Well, I would argue that that depends on the parent less than the kid. Absolutely. Because I, in my experience with the nephews and nieces I have, they have a large abundance of toys and didn't get video games until much later. But that said, also, video games are being designed differently to jar that kind of a thing that toys would do in a different way. In which case, this is an advocacy track. Sure. Which means that this track is doing exactly what you'd want a track like this to do, which is spur discussion. That's what I just said. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's great. But... There's the big butt. Like we keep going back. I keep going back to butts of the music, butts of this, butts of that. Like I'm, I'm starting. I know. I, I even came full circle when I was uh, bringing up that point. Where I'm like, yeah, the music is. It definitely does not save this track in in every way. But then I am appreciative of the fact that he's able to put so much out. And I know that that would be really be a challenge if it was just like this intricate compositional backdrop, which also you don't really even notice to the same extent when you have such a dense block of lyrics. So it's like you. It almost be purposeless to overcompose the track, but I do think this could have been pushed a little bit farther. So it's it's a minor critique here. This was the first track where it was a little bit obvious to me. Yeah, and I think perspective and enjoyment and uh, where our brains focused is what determines how we felt about this track. Which is why I loved focusing on the saxophone that appears in track five, Can't Be Arsed. So this... Translation, British to, to American, uh, can't, can't be, be bothered. bothered. But but I, I think I might use arsed going forward, because I like the sound of that. Well, it's you also sound because pretty posh yourself. Yeah. When, you, when you say it like that, it's also can't be asked to do, to yeah, do that's something. True. It's so also it's a good be bridge between the two concepts. Yeah. But so this song, um, he's continuing this tradition of taking things that sort of exist in the rap world and, and bending it to his will. And this song is a lazy man's song about can't that he can't be bothered to do all these things until he can't be bothered to not be bothered. And then 
then he is doing all the things. And it's just a fun way to play with the flow of a song. And as you've heard me talk to death on this podcast, I love progressive choruses. Here, we get progressive verses. And I think that's a lot of fun, though not uncommon by any means, but I well, think a lot of fun here. Every verse usually is... Progressive, I guess well, there's a narrative. It's particularly the narrative of <laughs> verse one being... I'm a lazy SOB. Verse two being, I have more lazy reasons to be lazy, lazy, so here are my lazy reasons. And verse three is, well, I'm no longer lazy because honestly I, I realize can't. how bad of a detriment yeah, it is right. to my I life. Yeah, I guess in that sense. I don't think it's very uncommon to find no, that no, kind no, of I evolution say, within I didn't track. say it was uncommon. All right, all and, right. and I think it's more the evolution of the narrative I enjoyed in this track. But I will I will admit that was um, it didn't occur to me than the first listen. You know, the first time I heard this, I was like, I thought it was all just kind of a jumble of, you know, can't. there are a lot of tracks that are just lists just giant lists of things and they don't really have any cohesion yeah but in this particular case uh you don't have that it's not just can't be can't be bothered to do this can't be bothered to do that can't be bothered can't be bothered can't be bothered to do anything um which would only invite as much sympathy as how many a thing how many things apply to you or for instance the the obvious you know yep i get lazy sometimes too it's kind of a shallow point of of uh of sympathy or of empathy but to spin it around and say that I can't be bothered to not be bothered because things are on the line yeah. because things are riding on my success and there is you know self-worth and all these other things that that you need to consider at the end of the day I do think that was a really nice spin a nice message and to swing it back to what John brought up at the top of it the music really did take a little bit of a jump in this track especially because of that saxophone backdrop it just set up this really nice jazz hip-hop groove and of course it's constant of course it's a loop but it sets up a slightly more serious tone and sometimes just that one little idea that's 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 enough sometimes that is enough in a rap track and because he had a slightly deeper message here certainly more so than toys then yeah this was back to the balance that i had in the beginning of the record well because also he does change up the delivery a little bit here and i think this song really is all about its delivery and the lyrics itself it's basically built around the idea that you're going to start low rise high and hold that a little bit or start high and drop low it's actually a fairly easy sway vocally but it does a lot to work with the ebb and flow of the saxophone itself Mm -hmm. as well as the like really kick heavy beat that it's built around and it's nice to have those rises in the saxophone so intricately married to the effort effort refrain the hook of it yeah it's it's a it's a bit of an easy one, but I didn't notice. You know, the first time I'm like, "What? Effort? Effort?" Is he just saying the same thing over and over? And then you just that sl- subtle little R that's thrown in there. Yeah. Effort, effort. You know, yeah. just very close. Um, which just sounds which like, like he's saying he the same thing over and he over. He can't but be arsed to actually enunciate the word correctly. There you go. Right. Yeah. But I, uh, there's also a couple little things that that stuck out lyrically here that I really got to point out specifically. Uh, verse two, can't be arsed to wake up and get out of bed. I'm the laziest. From A to Effort. I can't be arsed with the alphabet. Effort. Effort. Retention. Forget it. Tension. Don't stress it. Getting too much. Just let it. Can't be arsed to open the post and pay the bills. Can't be arsed to practice rap and elevate my skills. Can't be arsed to open my eyes or socialize. Can't be arsed to vocalize. Silence. I love that. Yeah, silence. there's silence. I love no that vocals. whole section of the like, verse, but just, I love that silence. The thing about his so couldn't let's be talk honest. a little bit about the comedy of Dan Bull and why I appreciated him as a comedic writer as well as a musician. Is we talk a lot about the Lonely Island and that we do like them, and I am a fan. 
But some of their songs are very much low-hanging fruit. They've got a gag, they go for the gag, and they hit it. And we've enjoyed it in the past. But what I like about Dan Bull is there's intelligence behind his jokes on a different level. Not to say that there isn't intelligence with The Lonely Island, but it's just attacked from a different perspective here. And I think he, Dan Bull lets you do a little bit of the work. And the fact mm. that he says can't be ours to vocalize and then pauses, if you're not paying attention, of course you'll miss the gag. It's not obvious and in your face. It's If you're listening to the lyrics, you get the joke, it's funny. And I appreciate that. It's using music as the punchline, or in this case, lack of. Lack of vocalization and lack of music. Silence as the punchline. And very often his enunciation, or sometimes his lack of enunciation, when you can you you can tell that he clearly chose that. I mean, yeah. we heard, He's the, directing we heard it, yeah. the elocution in the first track. We know he can enunciate with the best of them. So right. when he sacrifices that, when he just omits the, uh, the the posh side of him and he goes a little bit lazier, then you 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 feel it. You, obviously, you'd feel it in a track that begins about laziness. Well, what I like about that verse, too, before we move on real quick, is the final line of that verse versus ICBA to write my own hook. He can't even be arsed to say can't be arsed. He says CBA. I love... It's, which it's, I enjoy as well. Yeah. And he's talking about his hook. Like, he... Yeah. He's and then the getting... hook is effort, with the question mark, then effort, E-F-F-I-T, E-F-F-I-T, effort. As in... Fuck it, which I think also, like, he had the chorus once before that, but then in the second verse explaining how he really can't even be bothered on the chorus and then doing it again, right. I think uh, over-delivers in the best way on how obvious of a point he's trying to drive home before he starts to turn it around in the third verse. Yeah, and there's another thing I like here. When you look at the whole list of things that he's saying, that eh, can't be arsed with that, can't be arsed with this, like, most of these things you can empirically prove false Yes. Based, like, in other areas of this album. You can say, no, he totally had to work hard at that. He, he clearly didn't just phone in writing hooks, writing melodies, um, writing down this song because it's written and we listen to it and we're doing this show on it. So it's an interesting way of just sort of leading us down the rabbit hole, making you sympathize with laziness because we've all been there, but then saying, hey, look, I got over it at the end of the day. Yeah, clearly. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. I got over it. I can't be bothered to not be bothered. And so, you know. If, if this is a problem you may have, perhaps this will help you. And actually, it did make me, you know, kind of, it was a little bit of an uplifting track yeah, for me. I would agree. All right. <laughs> unless, unless anyone else wants to uh, dive Yes, you deeper. may do our segue. <laughs> Can I? All right. I, I mean, maybe I can't be arsed to do a segue. Uh, 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 all right. Uh, I guess I'll do it anyway. Prove um, wrong. Track six. Wiggly Willy. Um, this is the return of Duggleby, um, that character from the first track. Um, it was actually now, a, we get a full name, and the full name is Cheltenham DGLB Digby. Yeah. Which, which um, is where Duggleby comes from, DGLB. There you go. Yeah. The, oh, boo. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> I'm phonetically pronouncing it. Uh, yeah. Um, and so I'm happy for the character to be back. I like the prosh braggart that he is, but... There's something a little different this time, although I do want to speak to the instrumentation. I'm getting a little schizophrenic, but the instrumentation from the start is this great mix of piano, drum, and bass that's almost kind of approaching funk hip-hop. Keyboard. It kind of sounded yeah. like, in the, like in, the, um, in the Billy Preston vein, actually. Yeah. But, and of course, it was, you know, if, like, Billy Preston was playing the same thing over and over and over and over, and over, and over, and over again. again, yeah. Um, but his tone here is definitely less um, jovial. It's kind of more even-keeled. Which is interesting because he was just so kind of erratic in that first track. Almost conspiratory. 
almost like he's he's he's, he's especially plotting. with the content that comes out with this. He's got he's got his arm around your shoulder and he's going, "Hey, hey, hey, let me tell you something." And he's kind yeah. of talking into your ear, especially because when you finally get to the hook, you don't even notice it. It just kind of breezes right by because there's no musical change, there's no inflection change. Yeah. And this is where issues start piling up here and this is one of my least favorite tracks on the album. I would because say that I would say that this track for me is second to least favorite. It, that's why I said one of. Okay, fair enough. It's kind of just a wash of wordsmithing. And that's, in this case, kind of a bad thing. There's no breath. There's no pauses that let me really approach all the things that are going on. It's it's a lot of complications. And that, in and of itself, could be good if the content was a little more appealing. But really, this is just kind of blatantly talking about prowess in bed. I well, it's yeah, and I think I feel that like we already got the prowess track. Like I said, these aren't my my preferential tracks anyway. It's a miracle that he did what he did for track one. But I feel like we got that, and we got the same characters. This is kind of more of the same for me in a vessel that was a little bit less impactful. I can't quite uh, explain why, but yet, of course, if you look at the lyrics, and it's still very well written. It just didn't it didn't hit me on that uh, primal level for some reason. My full name's Cheltenham DGLB Digby. My diet consists strictly of single malt whiskey. I'm particularly sesquipedalian. I've not published a single literary failure, and I speculate that's mainly thanks to the fact that I don't even write books, I just rap. Trust that I'm a distinguished linguist whose voice's weapon of choice is English, a rhythm-wrecking rhetorician getting recognition for the fact that I'm Swagger's dictionary definition. So, I, I, mean, I have not had is... this much fun reading lyrics <laughs> since I was in middle school, probably annoying all my friends with Gilbert and Sullivan airs. Yeah, it's, of, of it's, like it's, Pirates yeah. of Penzance and HMS oh, Pinafore. It is, it is high quality work. I am the very model of a modern major general. I have information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England and I quote the pet historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. This is solid. It is extremely solid. It washes, though. I'm also partial to when I was a lad. I served a term in office boy to attorney's firm. I cleaned the windows and I swept the floor from the polish of the handle of the big... All right, you can go. It's the fact that it's so even keeled in its delivery. There's no pauses. There's no chance to digest any of this and the music it, the repetition of the music is really harming it in addition to the fact that the inflection is not there to really promote a lot of these uh, vocabulary choices I would mm. say that in his previous deliveries there was a lot of emphasis on certain words that would draw your attention here he's kind of just stating it as if it were beat poetry as if it were fact he's not actually rapping he's talking I mean he is rapping but it's delivered in a way where you feel like he's just talking to you it's very conversational and I think that's why that happens I think it was simply less punctuated. Yeah. It's almost more fun to read than than listening to the track here because you get the later in that, that same verse. Well, no, all right. I, I, I wouldn't say it's more fun. I'd say you're not losing a lot. No, by actually, reading it. I think I know exactly what it is. I am reading this in the same way that I heard the first track. Mm. So I still hear his voice, but I hear it. It, with that emphasis, right. with that overblown emphasis. Not to say it's not a little bit overblown here, but maybe it's kind of like he 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 shot the load right there in the beginning. So it's like, well, th- this was this was more of the same. I almost expected at least the next step in the story of Digby. Right. And it kind of it's just more about him. But yeah. I almost wanted him to push the narrative since this is the one character he has. The rest is all him. Yeah. No, I can, and I can see that. I think for me. Um, I'm more in line with John that it just kind of becomes a wash. Like, I get, after a couple of listens, I understand the lyrics and I, I enjoy the wordplay. How can you not? I just think that as far as his songs go, 
I do like the playfulness and the almost exaggeration, which is kind of left out of this one. It's exaggerated in the specific words, but not exaggerated as much in the delivery. The one thing I will reel back a little bit on is that it doesn't quite push the story of Digby. Like, it pushes the story. I think it, I, it's all about the punctuation, and I yeah. think that's that's it at the end of the day. Because you get further into that, that giant block of text in that last verse there. It's It really is a fascinating read. My breath smells of a packet of Wrigley's, mixed with whatever the hell my tobacconist gives me. I'll piggyback on the back of a pygmy, screaming quickly, quickly while I'm jabbing his kidneys. From the Indies to Sydney and in between, a Cold War submarine is my limousine. A libertine with the sympathy of Mr. Bean, a prick that means to be inflammatory, so bring your antihistamines. It, like, that may still be some of the best writing on the yeah, album. Or maybe sure. maybe since that line in British Teeth, which, the last, the very last one yeah. I read, which was my favorite. Yeah, no. You, I, could, you could cherry pick these lines all day and just have a, have a ball with it. I would easily say that his writing is some of the best writing we've had. I think that just, I agree. I think it's the inflection and the delivery in this track that falls past me a bit. Um, Moving on to track seven. So, a, a candid moment for me first. Um, the song's called I Hurt Myself, and the song is absolutely about self-harm. So, if you're listening now, and self-harm is something you don't want to hear discussed, don't listen. Skip maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I can't, can't I, I mean, say exactly. It's no, hard. We don't know yet. We don't know yet, but I, I just want to put that out there. Because there are people who can't listen to that either because you suffer from it currently or you suffered from it in the past. As someone personally who candidly will tell you that I have suffered from self-harm, I, you know, hearing the song hit me in a way that I think it wouldn't have had I not experienced it. I think it could hit people who haven't experienced it sure. the same way, but for me it definitely has a different weight. That right. said, this... we're getting into something that's way more serious than anything else we've covered on the album so far. It's an interesting album midpoint. Yeah. I mean, first of all, even the music has taken a turn uh, backwards. And I don't mean that in the sense of quality. I mean the sense of just there. there's not as much present. Yeah. You know, it's a pretty minimalist. It's just a sort of ethereal, an ethereal music box, mm -hmm. very childlike. And then later there's just a slight beat added and then another ethereal element, the uh, the, the misty synth. And then, of course, the, the vocals, a slight little female vocalization, not really saying any words, but just kind of humming a little bit. And this is actually a point of contention for us, regardless of the fact that I, I want to say right up front that we all kind of love this track. Yeah. I took it in a very specific way, and I want to speak about those vocals and that chime combination specifically, because it reminded me of, of like, childhood... A mobile and your mother putting you to sleep. Like an extremely safe and warm place. Sort of an, an end to the day. There's there's nothing else but the relaxation of someone who cares about you allowing you to drift off to dreamland. But of course the juxtaposition of that with the content, which is, um, you know... It, messed up. Messed up, yeah. Then uh, to me that, that uh, the context of however the hell those musical elements may have sounded in other in other songs in other contexts it just wouldn't have i can't even perceive them right now i i yeah. only hear them the way it was presented here and so that pair up may he may have ruined the child the, the music box for me and I, I i see it from the point of view of it was a safe space that spurred him to specifically do this piece to specifically be able to to actually expunge these demons that he's got going on, even though he says he's not trying to do that. Here he's, he's, he really is presenting uh, a, a very bleak and unhappy part of his life. 
but I feel like that's home and that's that's something that is giving him the strength as opposed to being sort of a perversion. I feel like it is actually the very little light that he feels that is allowing him to do this. Well, let's look at it straight up. My name is Daniel. I'm 28 and I'm a self-harmer. What I'm telling you is real, not just another way to sell drama. Not doing this for karma, tearing, or throwing off my armor. There, I'm showing my scars. I'm bare. I hope I've not alarmed you. The way I retaliate to aggravation and stress is to smack myself in the face till my sad face is a mess. Scream my fucking lungs out, gasp, taking a breath. Hit the right pitch, the sound of glass breaking is bliss, but I can't smash the mirror, I'm afraid of broken glass, so I punch the face I see in it. My bones make an open gash, I need a healing potion fast, throw me in the ocean, splash. The lifeboat has capsized, we've no hope and no man's an island. My contraband is anger, violence, lower the flag, no aggro, please, I demand silence. Skull and crossbones, swollen cheekbones, pull the trigger, reload, pull the trigger, reload. See me overdose in friendly fire, no hope till I towed a broken nose, and I can then retire. And then the chorus is a repetition of, look what you made me do. And that refers back to the lines where Steve mentioned the glass breaking is bliss, can't smash the mirror, I'm afraid of broken glass, I punch the face I see in it. So yeah. he's This is a he's conversation with himself. Him. Yeah, he's blaming himself. He's saying, look what you made me do, which a lot of self-harmers experience that. They feel like they're doing it to themselves because they deserve it. And they're making themselves do it. And so to be that candid about it is very powerful. I feel like we all have our own, we all, this is a tr kind of track that is uh, sort of necessary to project on a little bit based uh -huh. on uh, any any personal experience or, or uh, secondhand experience with it. Absolutely. And it's, it. to go back to one line here, um, there I'm showing my scars, I'm bare, I hope I've not alarmed you. Well, self-harm was always a fairly alarming thing for me. Uh, I mean, I get depressed just like anybody else, but that was never my, that's not where I go. I, right. I'd shrink into my room. I'd not really do anything. I, I certainly go back to the laziness that he uh, apparently has combated above. But um, that, that was a, a fairly new thing to me when I first encountered. And I knew some people who went through this, and it was always alarming. It was always difficult to deal with because you never knew the right thing to say. You never mm -hmm. knew what could help them. You never knew... Uh, whether it was you, you never knew. Uh, there was just so many question marks because any any reaction that is from your experience a little bit abnormal is one of the most difficult and even the really scary things to deal with, especially when it's with someone you care about. Absolutely. And for me, I was someone who was in high school self-harmer and it came from a point of bleak depression and I don't do it anymore, thankfully. I'm at a place where I don't feel the need to, but, you know, those times are scary. And probably back then hearing a song like this would have done one of two things. It would have uh, reinforced what I was doing to myself, which is not a good reaction, or mm -hmm. likely the intent of this is it would have made me realize I wasn't alone. Because a lot of the time when you're doing that kind of stuff, or at least in my personal experience when doing that stuff, it was because you felt you had no one else, you only had yourself, and you had to punish Almost yourself. Almost like you can get the catharsis out uh, vicariously through this particular song, and through no, the work of art, right. saving you from having to do it. Right, because someone's singing about it and you can relate to it. It's I, I personally come from sort of an in-between space. I was never much of a self-harmer. Never truly went through that, but um, physical self-harm is not the only version of, of it out there. Of course. I was um, mentally pretty screwed up in elementary school junior high through a lot of high school 
Um, and it's actually something I uh, the mental scars are still there very right. much so, and I still will deal with that sort of stuff, which is why I'm a bit of a bragger among other things. Uh-huh. Uh, why I have an ego the size of a, of a <laughs> state. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is something that you have to deal with on a daily basis. It's something that you, I still actually do deal with on maybe not daily, but it's sure. often enough that it's a ever-present being in my life. A- age can often kind of flatten these things out a little bit, for better or for worse. You don't it, deal with things. The numbing unhappiness of life does a lot to put that downward. Yeah. I have to yeah. say that the, the shit that life throws at you makes that sort of stuff. But... Uh, that does not belittle the fact that adults still have to go through this. Of course. Even the elderly still have to go through this. There's still plenty of issues that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. It's one of the most impactful songs I've probably ever really heard. Like, not just listened to, but heard. Yeah. And from its first play, yeah. I heard everything that was going on. It's stark. It's in your face. It's almost like an AA meeting. Yeah. The way it starts off, which are extremely low-key, but at the same time, while there is that harrowing kind of, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still a demon on the inside, I'm still very scared, I'm putting myself right. out there for the first time, that's where I will make the, I'll go back to the connection of the music itself, and of the humming, and of the chimes. When you take that idea of, a, of an AA meeting, there are other people sharing the problems with you. Not just Alcohol Anonymous, Narc Anonymous, and all the other support groups associated with veterans, with self-harmers, with suiciders, with individuals who go through physical and emotional problems and need help. I see that music line a lifeline of help. And that's why I still can't quite see it anything but contrasting the distressing elements, which are the beat work, which is the rest of the rhythm section and his phrase work. Well, two things, at least on in terms of the, the juxtaposition. I, I already said I agree that it is juxtaposed. It's just that I can't see it in other contexts where you can clearly see it in other contexts. I always felt that there, there is something always a little privately sad about that music box playing. It seems very innocent, but there's, innocence can be sad. Innocence denotes other things. You know, innoc- Bad things can often happen to innocent people. So I guess that's why it's uh, difficult for me to see it in any other way. But another thing that you touched upon, the fact that it affects other people. That's an important thing because he does address that, and of course that is my experience with it. Um, I'll just read the whole song here. So of course there are only two stanzas. The next stanza, after what I read before, is, I feel ashamed of what I did, now I've returned to clarity. Even though I only hit myself, still it hurt my family. All the things I hate about myself, they may be true or not. It doesn't matter when my face is battered blue and black with bruises. Don't know what abuse is. Why I do this? I'm a loser. A faggot, four-eyed, freckle-faced fucking waste of space. I've had it. I deserve to be damaged. It's a hurt I can manage. I can take physical pain. It's the words that are savage. My nerves are just ravaged. A small disturbance is all but certain to cause turbulence, and of course they urged me to panic. I'm scared of blood, but never back down from a brawl. Stand up for myself, never sat down on the wall. I go toe-to-toe until I'm passed out on the floor. One of us is going to hospital. That's how much I'm raw. It's a little twist at the end that he makes it more about other people. Yeah. Um, And he talks about how his experience with pain has been an advantage in those specific situations. But then what's really interesting to me is that the end, when the chorus comes back, 
every time he says, look what you made me do, he gets more emotional, more upset, more teary-eyed, more erratic, the, until it ends. Yeah, the look what you made me do part, followed by the crying, followed by, at the very end, the ambulance panning yeah. from the left into the right, that British ambulance. Well, at this point, the this this really had... Even though I knew that this album had taken a, a dive in seriousness, as of the beginning of this track, the second he says, I'm Daniel, I'm 28, and I'm a self-harmer, by the end, this had ceased to be a comedy album to me. Yeah. All in a flash. Which, of course, was the goal in this moment. But, like, you can't really say anything for or against the track. I mean, even though you said in the beginning, John, you prefaced that I think we all love this track, and it's not, for me, it's not a matter of, of love or, or hate. It conjures up memories and I think that's what its goal was. It's almost like a page out of his journal, and you need to take that for exactly what it is. There is, of course, artistic framing here, but and even in the in the last part, the artistic framing of, of the way he acts out that final look what you made me do, transforming into tears, it's very dramatic. But it, it left me feeling sort of a weird vacancy at the end. And Which, that, that it, I was almost numb. I would actually say that is fairly... Positive? Uh, as, as I want to say it's positive. Successful, maybe, is what you... Successful yeah, would successful be the word that you're looking for. Yeah, that definitely Positivity is not as, as so much, but yeah. it's it's As far as depression is concerned, that uh, vacancy is a very adequate way to express a lot of the pieces of depression. A lot of the more intense pieces actually do adhere to a feeling of vacancy within one's person. And self-harmers are not even very commonly, but almost intrinsically going to be people that undergo bouts of depression. Well, like I said, it, this is the kind of track I, I, I know how you know to pull someone out of a rut in many yeah. ways. But this is not a rut that I've always been familiar with right. until I was. And then I was stricken with a not knowing what to do and sometimes making the wrong decisions. And that was tough for me, considering that up to that point, you know, I fancied myself the good friend. And it was always difficult to to be confronted with something completely foreign. And this kind of brought me back down that, that memory. But there are certain things that you can actually speak of. I just don't think it's important. There are some grammatical choices in this lyrical work that are really great. There's parts of... Uh, there's parts with solid alliteration. There's parts with solid rhyme scheme work. But honestly, that's kind of besides the point when it comes to this message. It's kind of... Like, the music is kind of besides the point. I think that this stands up for message alone, and I'm going to give it a pass on the other aspects of it. For all the harping I've done earlier, like, this is a, this is a hammer to the skull. Yeah. And I can't say otherwise. I can't really detract the same the same problems that I was having earlier that might show up here. It did something different for the album, yes. which I think we were all angling for. And I think it was important for the album halfway yeah. through, too. And then, of course, it begs the question, how can you follow up a track like this? Well, that's a challenge, because I knew, or rather I suspected, he was going to return to the comedy album. It really had been a comedy album. I don't want to just kind of dub this a comedy album, but, you know, you look at the album cover, you know his other work, and you look at the first six tracks, it's all pretty funny in their own way, um, to varying degrees. But then track seven is not even a shade of that. None whatsoever. Yeah. Bottom of the barrel. So how can you just can you just drop in another comedy track and just forget that that all happened? I don't think so. That would ring of being tasteless. So what did it come up with? Track eight, Stroking a Cat. Which is the second single off this record and also has a music video, which is mostly just Images of him petting his cats at home. And he admits in the very first line, this is not a subject many are approaching in rap music. Among the showboating and boasts, I know I'm so full of crap. 
but I won't be complete without penning an ode to the fact that I feel most at home stroking a cat. Just that, that thing, the opposite of a trigger for many people, the, that thing that is deeply necessary, required just to calm oneself down after yeah. dealing with the aforementioned. And so this is very much an ode and a palate cleanser. It's, it's designed to just be a sweet song about his love for his specific cats, his three cats that he names in the chorus, and just to confess this love for a creature that soothes him, for several creatures that soothe him. And I think this is the only way you could have followed up that track, is something along these lines that's also, calm and soothing. It also does a lot to contrast the previous piece, which has actually been showing up a lot between Sellout and Toys and what they did. Can't be arsed and... Wiggly Willy and what it did one versus the other here yeah. it's a great great verses because yeah. some elements like the female vocalist is back but instead of being the motherly kind of hum I heard earlier yeah. this is just evoking noises this is more a voice being used as a violin well that's why I wouldn't say it's contrasting you know there's almost a very natural evolution from yeah. the music in the previous track into this like I that that but line that line that we were on really kind of struggling with between you feeling that it was already kind of putting you at peace and that the fact that it was contrasting with the other thing and to me that was always pretty uh, pretty dark from the get-go well now it's kind of just tweaked it and just put it into that little sweet spot where we all are pretty comfortable with it's fairly ethereal and it's very comforting and it's just like a warm blanket over us because that's what petting a cat does to him makes him feel at home and at peace at, at the end of all that and as a pet owner for the vast majority of my life i think there was maybe a three or four years i didn't have a pet in the house in my 31 years yes i'm 31 it's i i know exactly what he's talking about i'm not a cat person not particularly. I like one cat in my life, and the other one that's in my life is a pain in the butt. Um, I'm a dog person. I love my dogs, <laughs> and my fondest memories of my dogs are lying on the couch and then propping themselves up uh, in between my legs, just like sitting with their crux of their head on my knee as I'm lying on my side and just scratching them behind the ears. Like that, that repetition that is being represented right here. It's that soothe, it's that unconditional companionship that. Everybody does kind of need, whether it's through a pet or a relative or another loved one, a significant other, or merely a warm book or music itself or something like that. Like, everybody has an outlet for finding their center of being, or if they don't, they should. This song represents that. Yeah, you, you need that. And you, yeah, it, I just yeah, I no. can't I can't really oversell this track. It's not uh, it's not the best track in the record to me, but I I really promote it being the only thing in the world I could have imagined uh, following up the previous track. He like, brought us home. He brought us to a very safe place with I, this, and, which was extremely not even, peaceful. Not even completely yet. You know, I I know it's a peaceful track, but in doing so, in feeling the need to do so, you feel the lingering sadness. And I oh, think yes, that's important. Absolutely. I think it's important because you don't want to just eradicate that all in one track, again, that would lean toward the tasteless. You want you want it to remain present, yeah. but not overwhelming. Like, like a panic attack doesn't turn off because you flick a switch. Like, it takes time. It, it takes a little bit of time. Sometimes it takes a few minutes. Sometimes it takes a few hours. Sometimes it's, you know. A few days. Yeah. But there's a couple of things musically that do go on here that I do feel like I have I have to point out. And it's specifically in the hook and the post hook. Because the hook does something that has not happened before and that it actually 
changes up just its repetition by being repetitive in a completely different way and skipping itself and really throwing emphasis on every little thing that he's saying and this sort of like stuttering syllable work that's going on there did a, did a lot to really like cement the the individuals or in this case the cats he's talking about but mm-hmm. it's really the post hook where he gets whispery and not sexual but sensual very close to the feel the soft warm gooiness that is petting a, a, a an animal you love yeah with the lines behind the ears now under the chin tickle the tummy and feel the fluff on your skin and the way it's whispered and you can almost see him actually you know you know petting them and and feeling that that fur ball of joy in his life yeah. like there's a Taking away the stress of him. Uh-huh. I love the imagery that those lines very quietly evoke. Yeah. It's definitely an intimate experience, but obviously that begs the question, you know, where's the reciprocation in that? And of course, maybe the reciprocation is the act itself, but you almost get a little bit of a, of a hint here that he wishes it to be something more. I try not to treat you anthropomorphically, but damn, if you could talk to me, that'd be awesome, see? I need to reassure you that I'll always be here for you. Though we are mere mortal beings, I would run a mile for every single minute that I fear for you. I'm no loyalist, but to me you are the real royal, developed and bred up as a vicious predator. I found it tricky to picture till you ripped that stick of feathers up. You're like a teddy bear, but sentient with agency. That's why I savor the sentiment you'd delight to play with me. The wide world is dangerous, home's a haven, sweet. And if you need love enough, I'm sure we have a vacancy. It's just very sweet and <laughs> kind. Like, yeah, yeah. There's really just... But the wordplay is still there. The, the, and the, the lyricism is still there. And the point of reciprocation is the point yeah. I make. Yeah. I, like, they can only go so far, but right. sometimes that's exactly what, what you need. I don't know. Track nine. How to smash your mirror. Which I see as the... As much as we needed the breather of stroking a cat, this is the perfect counterpoint to I Hurt Myself. Well, because this is this song is all about body image and about uplift, lifting yourself up and finding your confidence. Looking at yourself as a person and not as this object that is imperfect. You know, taking you for what you are. And, you know, that's something a lot of people struggle with. And it's... <coughs> Uh, it's really cool how he approaches it here, and again, it's another song that feels very uplifting, a lot more positive, which we got earlier in the album. I particularly like the way he opens up. Piano and strings, a bit cliche. But it works well. <laughs> I love this, that he's So just, he's very on the damn, nose. You're damn right it works well. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, the style here I particularly loved. I wouldn't just flat out say uplifting, but I mean, all right, kind of in the background there. It's it's a little bit of that funk string style, but mm-hmm. it's on the slower soul R&B level there uh, with the classical touches here and there. The violin does get a little playful. So yeah, musically, this is right in that sweet spot where I don't re- really expect much more from a rap track. And because it's in my tastes as well, well, that bumps it up a little bit. It just, it it develops, and it's developing in a place that I like uh, to the extent that I need it to go. (laughs) That's about what I have to say about the music. Well, the the piano stays firmly within the rhythm section of what's going on. The violins, for the most part, are texture. Yeah. They're just adding to it. Or Um, color, color too. Except in the hook, which I really like the way they do swell out and have their own voice in the hook and do a lot to complement what he's saying. Why are you looking at me? Stuff your physique, beauty skin deep, I'd rather be ugly and free. I mean, that is not an unusual sentiment for people who are advocates for 
denying body stereotypes and things like that. That's what they say. Right. Beauty body is skin, positivity. Body, beauty is skin deep. I mean, that is a tried and true saying. But yeah. his presentation of it, saying from his own personal point of view, yes, I have freckles and crooked yellow teeth and beer bellies and things like that. I am imperfect and I love it. I particularly like the third verse. I'm no Michelangelo's David. My stature isn't classical. Sought a perfect body. Mine's autobiographical. Every flaw, every blemish, every scar is a natural tattooed testament to how I got this far. That is, that is a, that's not just I'm happy with who I am. No, it's me represents me. And that is, that is owning oneself. Well, the fascinating thing here about getting into the arc of this record, of course, is the fact that you started off with many of the same references. You know, you had the track all about British teeth, you know, but it's presented at that point as comedically braggart. There's no, there's no hint. Of course, you can identify the fact that, yeah, all right, it's probably been a little bit of an insecurity, but it seems so, so insignificant at that point because he's just owning it right and left. Like I said, I wanted the bad British teeth at the end of the track, or at least he almost makes you feel like it's a badge of honor in many ways. He wears it and he wears it well. But then you go into that midpoint when it's all about insecurity, right, in more of a general sense, an existential sense, until you finally kind of crawl back out of it and the... The, the how-to manual here, how to smash your mirror, how to get over that as we're slowly crawling out of the rabbit hole, is, of course, to readdress those things and say, you know what, I don't care anymore. And now you have the context of it being a real track and having a real person attached to it rather than this cartoonish figure, which to me is, is a really, really successful arc. I haven't really seen uh, an album structured that way in terms of your perception of the person. And I also think it's important to state with this uh, stanza specifically is that... In earlier albums, he's talked about how he's had it rough growing up in moments and that how he's gotten into fights and scuffles and trouble. And so here he's, you know, referencing back to that as well as, again, in this album, referencing back to the things that came before that he'd brought up before and his struggles. And I think it's important to look at your life in general that way, to that every part of you is you. And I think having it here in a rap song where most rap songs are kind of superficial in the pop stratosphere this is very real finger quotes real and i think that's important i also like the fact that he does address that he there is room for self-improvement as well he's not not perfect he's he's not perfect how he is and some people and I, i i'm not okay i'm not being a body shamer here all right so don't send me hate mail but some people really do need to take better care of themselves absolutely regardless when you're talking about people that have that are closer to a thousand pounds than a hundred pounds, and there are individuals out there like that, you may not have body shame in that case, okay? But you are definitely not taking care of yourself as far as humanity goes. Yeah, and we're not, not we're not talking about the ones who have like hormone imbalances or anything. This is some level of control over this one thing at the very least. And it's also not calling out. And I like the fact that it really doesn't broached the topic he broached earlier with mental disorders or in this case eating disorders which he 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 doesn't actually he 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 treats that with respect too without really getting into the topic about because it's it's not about anything other than accepting yourself because yes accepting yourself and wanting to prove you for you not improving you because society says you have to. It's, it's He's basically saying, you're great already, but you can get better. Yeah, everyone can. Have a personal vision. Like, yeah. you see the light at the end of your tunnel, not someone else's. <laughs> right. And, and I think these are all really valid and 
awesome things to put it's, in a song. It's just, to, light, just to lighten the subject matter here, because he, he is certainly returning to a little bit of comedy in this track. I don't want to keep this uh, so super serious, but there is a, a, a moment where he says... Uh, because of course, in his case, yeah, it's, it's a little a little bit about the the crooked teeth, a little bit about weight, and then he gets into, well, I'm a bit chubby around the edges. Prefer pudding to veggies. Restaurants say, do they want to? Do you want a side salad or potato wedges? I'll leave you to guess my preference. Insert generic cre- Mr. Creosote reference. Um, which, for those who do not know the Mr. Creosote reference, that's Monty Python and the meaning of life. Which is funny because Holy Grail has been like shouted down my throat for, since since uh, my earliest memories, and but I'm like, no one ever know- gave. Uh, everyone loves that movie and they never gave Meaning of Life the time of day. Well, I so I was movie. happy to well, see well, any any reference from uh, Meaning of Life. That's also because we're in the States. I think the importance yeah. weighted on the it different movies It stands to reason yeah. that it's a bit more common over there. Yeah. Um, I think we're good to move on to the next track unless you guys have anything to add about this. I think... No. no. I, think, I think at this point 7, 8, and 9 are serving their purpose and really well followed by each other. We now go to track 10, Look at the Elephant. Which is one of, I have to just praise this track's intelligence. Well, yeah. So here's the thing is, this song confused me at first. And as we get into describing it, I can further explain why. It was, it is, okay. It's, it's, at first I saw the title and I thought it was an, an old, like, little trick that you could do to people. That's a little bit mean. The don't think about pink elephants. And right. then all you can do is think about pink elephants. But in this case, it's actually... The elephant in the room. And it took me until the end of that first verse to really understand it. But I love how he's actually broaching the topic of the elephant in the room. A.K.A. the uncomfortable truths that we tell ourselves. And of course, if that's your setup, then why not start it off with the elephant in the room being the elephant? You know? Within a few years, the elephants are going to die. (laughs) But they're less important to our ecosystem than a fly. Mm. All of our actions are ultimately selfish, even when we help the helpless. We're thinking what we can get out of this. No need for an apology. It's just biology, because we're stronger in a colony. And honestly, I can't debate the fact that my claims will be debated. I can't overstate the fact that I'm underrated. I can't stand or understand the fact that I'm hated. I try to understand until I realize it's overrated. Your tablet phone was made by modern-day slave labor. The world today's arranged to make us chase paper. To the grave, spend, 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 but make sure you save for later. Haters are going to hate, but maybe what they're saying will save you. Insane or savior? Am I a liar, pariah, messiah, or a normal guy with a desire to inquire? I'm adding fuel to the fire. I'll draw the ire. Either side of the dividing line like a binary multiplier. We're all bullied at school, but never did it ourselves. That doesn't add up. You were a bully without knowing as well. You're guilty of stuff you'd have others thrown in a cell for. So look close to home before telling us what we're going to hell for. Just in this, he doesn't even get into the really darker, deeper stuff that he does in the next verse. And honestly, that one you just have to read along when he's rapping. Here he's he's talking about, okay, you, you blame other people for things. You do other things for people. But it's always conceited. It's always selfish. And he's he's right. Like, these are things that are not talked about. Who do you help when you donate money? Well, you feel better about yourself. I think That's it's not, true. It's That's not even just true. That, it's not even just that, all right, these are things that are not talked about. You know, there are always things that are talked about to certain people. It's just that as human beings, you have a hard time focusing on everything at once. Everyone has their battle, their little battle that they want to fight, and usually it's a good cause. But at the end of the day, they're, they're usually the ones to, you know, throw stones or completely dismiss the other battles going on. 
or just say, yeah, that's not really my, that's not really my concern. Or, you know, yeah, you, you worry about that. You, that's, that's nothing compared to what I'm doing. And yet, of course, that's not true. Everything is sort of important at the same time. That line, you know, we're stronger in a colony. I think it's more just, look, don't smack talk, you know, about the things just because they don't concern you immediately. Well, and I think going back to the progression of the track and my initial confusion. So he starts out talking about the elephants. And then the chorus is, look at the elephant, look at the fucking elephant, the elephant. And I'm like, why are we going back to the elephant? But obviously, after multiple listens, I realized he's saying, look at the elephant in the room. Look at the fucking elephant in the room, the elephant in the room. Going back to but the But not old, actually saying it. The old adage of nobody talks about the elephant in the room. Nobody talks about this big overbearing presence that we all know about and honestly should discuss because it is an issue. Who wants to have an elephant in their room? Well, he wants us to actually approach that. And some of the things he comes up with... He actually talks about Nazis and pedophiles. And while I don't necessarily agree with the things, and he says he doesn't agree with some of the things he's talking about, he actually broaches subjects that really do... Are designed to make what? people uncomfortable. This, they should know, be, they I'm, I'm going to read this one because this one actually had me really interested. The capacities in all of us for genocide. It's best to face the demon inside than try to run and hide. Nazis were people too. If you'd have been in their circumstances, the certain chances you would be one too. Um... Well, yeah, that he's I, essentially saying if bothers, you were German and you if you were German at the time and you had access to the information that those people had at the time, yeah, you'd probably be ignoring all of those same problems. You might, if you were in the military, you might have even committed the war crimes. That that's a, a scary thought that none of us like to admit of ourselves because we are oh, save us, so enlightened. Yeah. but we only are hardened like we only because of the information that we have and even then our information is splotchy today look at the priorities that we often have in the world they're often very screwed up and the internet hasn't quite helped that you know right. that's the human error and it will probably be, remain a human error for a very long time until we kind of collectively get our acts together so yeah it's just, i think it's a don't throw stones don't don't cast stones kind of track right and i think that's what really important to focus on in the track as a whole is that this track, at its core, has to be taken for what it is. We could describe it till the cows come home, but the impact of this track is listening to it. As far as lyrically is concerned, yes. yes. But one thing I do want to talk about is it's a Beastie Boys track, too. And that's Musically. a nice little kicker yeah. because Beastie Boys were pretty socially active as far as the music was concerned. So I feel like he's even doing a throwback there to something I grew up with and really identified yeah. with as far as... They weren't the deepest of social concerns all the time, and a lot of times they weren't really concerns or anything like that, but they were always attitude-driven, talking about things that were kind of important in the world, and he's doing the same thing in that sort of format. Yeah, and I guess I wanted to almost talk about a few of these things specifically, but I, I guess that's not the best course of action for this particular episode. I just wanted to sort of say, in in, in general terms, the these the hotbed issues that he brings up in that final verse are, to me, they may, they may rub some people the wrong way, but to me they actually come across as rather enlightened. If you read into them and you're not sort of, you know, reacting against singular lines because the singular lines will, they will induce reaction. Um, they will induce like, oh, ooh, I don't agree with that. Uh, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of ugly. And I think that they just need to be taken in the broad because very often he follows it up with something that is, um, it, it, it comes to an enlightened state. You know, it, it poses the 
the shock value before kind of retracting it and and easing it down with something that's like you know what it it's it's all good in the end because there is no judgment here there is fact on one hand and then there is just no judgment on my end and i i think that's an enlightened state of being which i don't often hear uh in rap music in any genres music, in really. general yeah you know it's usually a lot of grandstanding mm-hmm. and i think i'm really tired of grandstanding these days this music that a lot of people would consider this grandstanding i don't like this yeah. is the antithesis in many ways because of the way he just says what's difficult to digest like that should not there, be taken as, as it there should there's a bit of grandstanding at the end you are going to die that's not grandstanding no it's it's but that message like he hammers it home like a no, that's a perfect that example of my him. point, actually, because it states the facts, the hard facts, the hard facts. You're going to die. A, that's a, but that's, to say a statement like that and be it the closing of it's this. It's not like, grandstanding. It's punctuation. It's, First it's of a, all. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's being like, it's trying to be provocative. Like You're not following the exact As provocative as, as you could possibly get. That is, the, that is the, the greatest crux you can hit. Even though that final it. line is actually not technically in the lyrics, it's really like a little a little coda at the end, it, the, it follows the same exact pattern of what I just described. He states the obvious, which is hard to hear. You are going to die. Oh God, what is that? Is that a threat? What, are you threatening me? No, I don't care about advances in cryogenics or the multi-universe theory. In other words, all this other stuff that people might, you know, Arise, no, you're probably going to die. I mean, like, at least 99.999%. And even if you have cryogenics, then it's like, well, if you were frozen, you'd just wake up and die in another time in the distant future, right? Multi-universe theory? Well, sure, maybe there's another one of you that could stay alive. But not you. Not you. Not you, the person. It's tough. But I I think it's... uh, And that's that's obviously being silly there. I think that's that's just a a joke, but it follows the same exact pattern. And of course, that's that's the coup de grace. That's the final blow, the most obvious fact that all of us like to ignore throughout our lives. And to address the previous track, it's another elephant in the room. That, yeah, that's a very good way to tie it in. Track 11, I'm going to be a daddy. Some good news? Question mark. So this song is approaching... So this is more in the vein of track seven. This is approaching something very serious, and there's really no joke here at all. Um, uh, eh, I know. Um, so the, I think the really important thing to point out about this track is this is not a track for someone who's going to be a dad who's trying to be a dad. This is from the perspective of someone who is not expecting to have a child and finds out he's having one. I'm going to be blunt. I, I've, I, we have heard enough tracks. In fact, our most recent one was Awaken My Love, Childish Gambino, episode 221. A whole track at the end, he was excited, uh, uh, Donald Glover excited that there was a kid in his life, Um, also wanted to make sure his kid had the best. We've heard so much of that. Sometimes there is genuine fear there. The transition into parenthood is not always easy. It's like the biggest step that you can make in life, really, in many ways. There's a few others that I can think of are... That are as impactful, and having it portrayed with almost an '80s R&B style is—I like it. I like the smooth, just, just kind of, just their rhythm section that we're gonna get. The nice, just rise and fall and space around everything, especially the bongos, the space around those bongos, and the general just non. Intrusive nature of what's going on with the music. Yeah. To have him really voice his fears and a little bit of his anger and a lot of his anxiety 
and a little bit of his now he goes through all the stages of grief in and this piece of course because the the subject matter is kind of consuming the room to me this uh track probably had me as hyper focused as i hurt myself it was probably the most the, the second most impactful track on the record because it's also dealing with the difficult subject matter the matter of difficulty that a lot of artists don't discuss in becoming a parent right and i think also what's important here is the way this song is structured both lyrically and the delivery and musically breeds self-reflection this song is steeped with self-reflection and that's all it's about it's about finding out you're pregnant and not it not being something you're expecting or trying for. And then everything else is as a result of that first moment. And the way it comes back around at the end with acceptance and welcome, almost excitement, is a great evolution for this track. I well, would not say excitement. I don't no, think he's... Acceptance. Tr- I, Exce- yeah, oh, yeah, acceptance. Acceptance at the barest. At the barest. And really, there's only, you know, there's only it, one line. I mean... It's it's welcome. That's it. That's the only line, the very last line of the yeah. track, just before I'm going to be a daddy, I'm going to be a so daddy. That's accept- well, it, but that is acceptance, though. It's, it is to a T, the five stages of grief. Yeah. Denial in the beginning, anger, a little bit of bargaining, and a whole lot of depression mm. before acceptance. Yeah. I mean, structurally, he's following the book. At the same time, that book has been true for a very long time. That's how it works. Yeah. That's yeah. how most people process grief and finding out your father when you don't want to be one when you're not prepared for being one when it is a complete surprise you're going to go through grief whether earlier when he was talking about body image and something that men normally don't broach as a subject in society it's it, that's that's one thing i think we didn't quite say previously yeah. body image is something that men have to deal with that actually doesn't get brought up so it was different having a man bringing it up here it's another point of view that historically it's what women go through when they go through a pregnancy this is from the point of view of a man with an unexpected pregnancy this it totally... sounds like it should be sexist but it's presented in such a way to be like almost the other side of what of what well, it's, it's, it's just a male perspective well, I mean, yeah. it's he, he's not, him he's yeah, not yeah. her it's it's not sexist because he's not saying what i'm going through is more important than her he's just saying this is what i'm going yeah. all through. we have it, so all we have is his perspective here yeah. we don't know what her perspective was he did feel the need certainly during the bottom of that five stages of grief uh pattern you know where he feels the need to to contribute a little disclaimer, of course, that he's, he doesn't really believe in abortion. He doesn't believe that that's not an option for him. So that's yeah. whatever. That's his choice. We can only assume at, the, at this point that that was the, the woman's choice as well. But that's, that's uh, he, he inserts that in. That's probably the only hint that we have that there's some agreement there. Yeah. Um, we but assume anyway. We can only assume. It's not, it's, it's just not about that. It's, this is his perspective. And of course, parenthood is, is, it's supposed to be a mutual thing. It's not yeah, supposed absolutely. to be like, yeah, well, you know, the wife was going to front all of that stuff. It's supposed to be an agreement. You know, right. fatherhood is as important as motherhood um, in varying degrees to in different areas of the child's development. So, of course, it's still a, it's still going to be fear. It's still going to be a life transformation. Yeah. It's no less sure. valid. Right. Again, this song is about his perspective. It's not invalidating hers. It's just explaining his. And, and I think that's where this song is successful is it's just him being open and candid about his experience with this information. Well, I, I don't want to overstress the open and candid
candid nature of it. We knew this was going to be an open and candid record the second we got a track like I Hurt Myself. I guess not, not until then. Maybe not until then. There was right. always a little tongue-in-cheek there. It's just so stark that he dropped it completely. Yeah. And we had little pick-me-ups, you know, but... I guess he didn't want to take us back up the, the other side of the parabola. Right. He wants to kind of keep us wallowing a little bit at the bottom, mulling about these ideas that he's clearly mulling about. Because I guess that's just how his mind work, yeah. works. And it's, let's be frank, that's how most people's mind works. It's not like an easy, you know, I'm, I'm going to be depressed now, but only for yeah. a, uh, a designated amount of time. Yeah. No, stuff happens. Stuff is always going on. And, well... This happened. Yeah. This happened in his life, so he feels the need to talk about it. I also want to mention that in a similar way to several other tracks on this record, he's delivering information here. It's a discourse. He's not really rapping about it. He is, but it's almost conversational. And for especially tracks like track seven, I Hurt Myself, and this one, I appreciate it. It makes it even more relatable than it already was. It's definitely been flattened out a bit. Yeah. I mean, I can't say I personally relate to all of it, but as someone who is trying to have a child and move to the next stage in his life, yeah. I can relate to some of these fears, because I am afraid of some of this stuff, even though I do know I would like to have a child. Well, let's look at some of those questions. What if it's ill? What if it's disabled? What if it's not mine? Well, <laughs> what if it dies? What if it grows up to be a horrible little gobshite? What if it hates me? What if it's not just one kid? What if it listens to this song and feels unwanted? Yeah. Which and is... Which is, um... I didn't actually notice that line, but I was thinking it the entire time. Yeah. I didn't notice it before as I was listening, but I was thinking, the entire, wow, he used to release a song like this. I mean, yeah, I, I should hope he or she takes an interest in your life and goes through the, the litany of your work, you know, and probably will stumble across this. Yeah, what, what will they think? Like, yeah. that's odd. That's very odd to me. And I, I couldn't take my mind off it because I guess that's one of the reasons why most artists choose not to write a song from this particular angle. Uh, because, of course, like maybe I would, I would wager that most of them at least have these questions, but they choose to avoid it for the sake of having skipped all over all of the problems and simply choosing to follow through on the final thing, the, the, the final thing that he comes to the conclusion at the end, which is the welcome. I am glad to have you in my life. Which is fair, but I feel like you're missing on a, out on a lot of the details. I'm appreciative that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't skip over any of that. Which is fitting for someone that gave us look at the elephant. Like, yep. he, yeah. this is one of those uncomfortable truths that he deals with. He say, for someone who says he's unbalanced... He comes off amazingly self-conscious of who he is, like an amazingly self-knowledgeable person. I think there's a reason for that, and it's because very often, and this is so speaking from a little bit of my experience here, very often if you have little, you, you can overthink, but overthinking, while it can seem like a crutch in your day-to-day -day work, it can be somewhat rewarding at the end, mm -hmm. because having overthought about it, you've thought about it. And at least if you think about it, and you don't, you don't, you're not ignoring it, and all yeah. the other things that are worse, then you know what? You you at least have a sense of a sense of balance at the end of the day. And I I think maybe he would, I don't know, pure theory, subscribe to that personality type. He seems to have so far on the record. I would agree, actually. Yeah, I mean, though moving from this track to the final track on the record. We get to a diatribe of sorts. So the final track is called Fuck Everything. And honestly, after the, the 2017 I've had and some of 2016 and I'm confused on a lot of stuff, a diatribe like this is something I can relate to, though, as a song. I don't know where it stands. I, 
I want to say that he just spent a little bit too much time on Facebook and got pissed about everything that everyone was talking about. <laughs> like That's literally actually, everybody. Literally That's everything. That's extremely valid because I've been in that like, position. This, this, is, this feels like just taking Google and seeing all the things that Google says and is talking about and is trying to present as either news or important things or what have you. And just being tired of the bombardment of all the issues and the opinions that appear about said issues. That said, it's pretty crass. I'm not a huge fan of this track. I think it's probably the worst on the album. But from the point of but view of... But that's by of, design, I think. But the point of view of the kind of crisis it is, it has redeeming art qualities. Frankly, other than the redeeming art qualities, this is a throwaway for me. Apart from crest, though, you know, I, I almost don't even notice the word fuck after a while. Yeah. After a while, like, it does. All, all I yeah. see is just it's it's issues, items, and uh, and words. Yeah. yeah. Just read the beginning. Fuck. Fuck gongs. Fuck the beginning of songs. And fuck you if you're not singing along. Fuck right, fuck wrong. Fuck ping, fuck pong. Fuck weak, fuck strong. Fuck king, fuck kong. Fuck the internet. Fuck Twitter. Fuck Reddit. And it just goes on and on and on and on from there. And of course, yes, it gets a bit touchy as the previous tracks did, but because oh. you don't have the explanation in this, then yeah, all right, I guess I'd lean back toward Cress in the end. Certainly whenever it hits upon a group that you would be a member of, you know? Any, I mean, pff, fuck, fuck sex, fuck pleasure, fuck pain, fuck cancer. Well, fuck cancer, sure, most people say fuck cancer, right? But then if you're a cancer patient, you're torn between that right, you know, that right on kind of thing or just that group that you're a member of at this moment yeah. and then it, it's hard hitting and it, it uh, keeps on going with many other areas but that's just the idea it's a little bit of a trolling song I think we're all in agreement there yeah I think yeah. it's designed to raise people's hackles I think what really cements that is that at the very end he goes after the whole diatribe no offense no no it's not it's fuck this music fuck you and fuck off and then it's the fucking hell no offense. Yeah. It's that. That delivery of, God damn, I'm done. He's, like, catching his breath at that moment, and then, no offense. Well, you know, it's... it's, it's like, 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 I want to bring it back to Facebook again, and all the facts that it's like, with all due respect, and phrases like that, and no offense, but, whenever you yeah. gotta throw a but in there, you are... You actually belying, mean offense, yeah, You're yeah. belying the things that, that you said before. before. It's yeah. a play on the old joke, I hate everyone equally. Yeah, you know? which is not which, an answer, really, it, Well, it's, it's not an answer, of, but it's, I mean, it's well, fair enough. It's yeah. the, it's, it's, it's the Tao of George Carlin, I mean, it's not yes. something that's, yeah, yeah. like... Exa that, that's a... That's funny you brought that up because I was thinking George Carlin as I was oh, yeah. as I was uh, listening to this the song. I mean, who yeah. he kind of hates everybody equally and has fairly legitimate reasons for most of the reasons why he doesn't like. People. I think the yeah. thing about this song as a punctuation to the end of this album, it makes perfect sense. I could see, however, as an isolated track, how it might confuse, oh, it's terrible, or 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 anger, or not. Yeah, yeah, it's flat out terrible if you remove it from the album. It's really something that I don't think. It's, it's, it's I don't that. know that it's... I still no, no, know. It, it's, mm. I wouldn't use the word terrible. I would say that this track, removed from context, would be very aggressive and confusing, but it's still well-rhymed and well-structured. I don't, ag I don't agree with no, that. No. I, I would not be confused. I would not be confused when I saw that for the vast majority of these, most of these things are paired up A and B. If you hate A, you hate B. For the almost every single, single thing here, then that's how it's presented, in which case there's nothing confusing about it except to say this guy is really all... He's over. 
over it. He's he, he's yeah, over. He's it. done. I think he, 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 it seems it 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 appears to follow probably a spell in his life where he had deal with various accusations of right. this or that, which probably were not grounded in truth, but were based on just. Pure blah, you know, how dare you? And, well, uh, I would amend that I think this song has more impact being part of this record. On its own, it's just an isolated, aggressive track of frustration and vomiting things at someone. And the fact that it is kind of mind-numbingly dropping the F-bomb, you will dip in and out, and it's okay, I guess, to dip yeah. in and out, but still, when you're hearing it in more isolated, on it, that's that's where I gotta, I gotta stand up. I don't really don't think it will work at all in an isolated area. I, it will not work outside of the album's context. I repeat, it will work for the reason that I just said, for me, but but it's not, it, it definitely wouldn't be like, a, hey, let me check out that artist. No, it's like, right. what the hell is this? You would hear that I'm song go, going away now. what the fuck is that? Yeah. And then move on. Yeah, that's kind of messed up. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, anyway, I would get it. I would get it at the joke that it is. No, That's what I'm I would, trying to no, say. No. I would get it as a joke. I could, You could tell by that if yeah. you listen for like four or five lines in a row. But the problem is with that many F-bombs, I would be turned off right away to listening to it. I, I am <laughs> agreeing with you. I'm simply saying that this song by itself would not inspire me to check out Dan Bull. This is not the pinnacle of his work. This is a, a song that in the album arc, expresses his frustration that probably built up to this point, but as a track by itself, it's not indicative of what I love about Dan Bull. It hints at it in the very end of the track. I think the only reason I'm harping on this minor point is actually, I, I think, I'm on, I'm on the fence. I almost think that this makes sense within the context of life itself. It is not as applicable to the album because the album didn't get so political. And this track, yeah, well, not just political, but political's a big portions of the things that he mentions. Yeah, but yeah, the, the GOP, the Democrats, and things yeah, like that. I mean, that. the whole track is. Nah, yeah, it's but then a there's third, also fuck yeah, stores, yeah. fuck shops, fuck pork, fuck chops. That, yeah. that makes no sense at all. Right. Fuck so a, I, B, I think this fits perfectly fine fuck on three. this record. It's about just a th- less than a third of this song is about those things, and less than a third of this album take a serious turn so i think it's right in proportion with the whole album personally. all right all right i guess it's really that low like i figure like half this album really is it's kind of half it's kind of half okay yeah. so half half so. half is him bragging right and well uh, half of it is him toys isn't really fun. bragging yes him having fun with his audience and, and then the, the other, other half, half is, is being real yeah dark and clouded and mm. so i yeah or maybe it does fit just in terms of saying you know what whether you're feeling good, whether you're feeling bad, fuck it. We all go through. Yeah. I think that's the takeaway. But at the end of the day, we have to rate it as a whole. And I have a lot of great things to say about this album. And we said a lot of them in the latter half. Some in the former. And I had a lot of not-so-positive things to say about the album as a whole. And almost all of those were in the first half. They didn't go away. That's something I actually want to reiterate. The simplicity and general disappointment I had with the musical section is overshadowed by the quality of the lyrical work, especially after track six. Once I Hurt Myself shows up and he really starts getting in touch with me, not even with his inner being, but with me, I'm like, okay, I, I, 
honestly, I could take it as beat poetry to something that's over just like the most extravagant music of all time. It's at that point where I'm just listening to the words coming out of his mouth. And that's what's really important to me. But it doesn't excuse like the, the repetition. It's a lot of very steady beat work, very rhythm-oriented sections. Not a whole lot of complexity. He's not pushing the boundaries there. And I'm okay with it. I just don't think it's really adding to it. There's only a couple instances where the minimalistic nature of his beat sections, of his musical choices, was a positive. Otherwise, it was just there to keep the flow going and really allow him to do what he does best, which is do weird things in weird speeds with weird inflections over a rhythm. And that he's great at that. He's great with the with not just the vocabulary choice, and that's this is not pulling out of a dictionary. He's got a great vocabulary. But with his ability to change his inflection or change his speed or this, that, and the other thing, he always changes one little aspect and it's great for it. The content's great. Like even the worst content is really great on this album for what it is, for the artistic side and vast majority is just really great in a, in a vacuum so that's something but i know of music with the same sort of caliber of content and the same sort of caliber as far as vocal delivery and lyrical choices that just have stronger music so this is i'm just under a four it's a 3.9 i cannot in good conscience put it higher without that big infusion of music I want. This album is right between taking itself seriously and not taking itself seriously at all. Which is really fascinating. Um, I think I actually related to this album pretty heavily, which is a weird side for me because that's 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 me stepping into Matt's shoes. I usually <laughs> I usually say, well, that's silly, Matt. Just because you relate, that doesn't make it good or bad or this or that. But now that I'm here, I'm like, eh. I, I don't know. I, but then that begs the question, all right, how am I exactly relating? I'm not, I don't fall into every single one of these, these criteria. I think even when you get to a track like um, I Hurt Myself, you know, I, I described a little bit of what I, when I was, we were going through our stories there, I described it as sort of a secondhand thing. And it was a secondhand thing. But of course, that, as John pointedly brought up, and, and he went a little bit into it, and that's eh, a little bit true for me too. You know, self-harm can be in various forms. You know, we all kind of, we, we don't take the best care of ourselves when we're not in the best state. And, uh, yeah, it, it can it can hurt your life a little bit. Hell, I even related to the laziness track. I go into those spells and was pleased to see the turnaround. So I guess that really wasn't so shallow for me. It's nice to see that people can overcome here and there, and that they're not afraid to... Uh, portray all of the moments that they were at in their coming to the place that they went, if that makes any sense. It, it's a very self-conscious album. Like I said, you don't, you don't expect that it's going to be so self-conscious based on the first few tracks. I was thoroughly immersed in comedy territory there, and catchy comedy, comedy territory at that. The first two tracks, I guess if we're just looking at pure musical enjoyment, they're probably my favorite. Um... The first two tracks, and that probably stops about there. They're they're my favorite, but they're high up. They're so high up. Rugbuggery and British Teeth. Uh, they're gonna be. I'm gonna be replaying them over and over. But then I also know that to do so is almost like 
cherry picking from this album. It's taking the friendliest parts of it. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to cherry pick from an album that really does say quite a bit more. It, it gets serious. And in getting serious, I think it has to sacrifice a little bit. It has to sacrifice those, uh, those delectable little elements that we just love to point out in music and to get me really excited for music. This goes down a route that I didn't expect to go in today when I looked at the album cover. Don't judge an album by its cover. Well, I, I almost did, and said this is going to be a romp, especially after listening to the first track, and it quickly just whew, went down that, that hole. And I think, I think I'm appreciative for that. I think I'm appreciative for the fact of the fact that this album did not do exactly what I expected it to do. And I think that ended up being a better thing at the end of the day. He covers a lot of topics, and unlike where we were at when we were discussing, you know, Sting's record at the beginning of the year, 57th and 9th, and all of those uh, social issues that he brought up, brought up kind of, you know, scattered and, and all over the place, which was like, yeah, where are you going with this Sting? This is all kind of convoluted and, and, and partitioned. One doesn't really always have to do with the other. And the, that self-awareness is here as well, that, you know, one doesn't always have to do with the other, and I said it. I said that my mind is very often kind of just like a, a mess of the personal and the social. And I guess that, to me, impacted me in a bigger way. I, I think also as far as rap albums are concerned, I think I'm more attached to his flow than many, many others. Granted, of course, I, I feel like a little bit of a novice in this territory. My, my knowledge of rap is not as, I, I think, is not as broad as you guys. You're... I think maybe you would have a better gauge of like where he stands in the flow of it all. So I, I'd, I'd uh, relinquish this judgment to the two of you. But it impressed me. So this isn't over the four album for me. And how high is... I think this can't be in the upper echelon only for the sake that I probably will be just going back to the first two tracks. The rest of it is deeply personal. I need to be in the right place to go back there. But that does not diminish the album in any way, so I'm right below the upper echelon. I'm at a 4.4 with this. All right, so one thing that I want to state right up front that John and Steve brought up that doesn't apply to me is this album taking that turn that it did was not surprising to me at all. Being intimate with his discography, he's done this plenty of times where he's done a bunch of lighthearted songs and then bam, hits you with something serious and then kind of ebbs and flows from there. So that part was not a surprise, and I was appreciative of it because I've loved it in his previous works. Um, as I said at the top of the show, I like his video game tracks. They're entertaining. I love his originals because his originals just operate on a different level. Um, as far as theme goes, this is a pretty tight album. You know, it, it he's celebrating hip-hop but in his way. It's what it means to him. And I think that that's important here, and it's very apparent in pretty much every track, however he's going about it. You know, arc-wise, musically, he jumps around a bit, but that's the nature of rap. You can have a lot of influences in rap based on what you're sampling and still be pretty consistent. Um, you know, he threw some instrumentation here that I would not really heard before in previous albums, and I was happy to hear it here. Um... I will agree that focusing on the music in a few tracks, it can seem pretty plain. But again, with my experience with Dan Bull, I am rarely focusing on the music. The music is a spoon of peanut butter to get the medicine down. It's, it's part of the whole. 
And so I don't really mind if some places it stands out and some places it doesn't. Because again, Dan Bull I'm coming to for his lyricism, his clever writing, his humor, his sincerity, his stances. Like, he's one of my favorite rappers. And I know I'm getting myself into trouble with the other rappers listening, but I love you guys too. But Dan Bull ha- is is one of the fewer rappers who can do sincere stuff that I really get behind, like your Michael Kill, your Shea for the Dark Lord, your Dr. Awkward, where they do serious tracks that I either re- relate to, find catharsis in, help me emote, all of these things. And this album did that. I can safely say it's not my favorite Danville album. It's up there, but... I mean, Face is still one of my favorites from beginning to end just because it, it's just the songs on it. But praising his old stuff aside, which he calls people out on in this record, um, I really do love this record. I'm so happy I brought it on, and I'm so happy that you both were able to find things in it. Um, and I'm so excited to promote someone I've been liking in a vacuum for such a long time. Except when I go, hey, here's a fun rap song about video games. You guys love that, right? You love them Vigi games. You know, it's nice to share this not in a vacuum and get so much back from it. So, which at the end of the day is why I listen to music and why I do this. So it's up there for me too. I have to agree with Steve. It's not upper echelon just because I feel like other stuff he's done before got closer to that. But I think this is a direction that he can take his music to reach that. And I think we're headed in that direction. Um, So for me, I'm in the same place Steve is. It's a 4.4 for me as well. Um, You know, I think that he is definitely approaching his next evolution, his next level. And I'm so excited for his next original album. Who knows when that's coming? But based on his previous discography, we probably don't have to wait that long. <laughs> it might be the next like fifteen minutes or so. Right. We might have already missed it because we might have, it just, might have already come out while we were doing this. It's been eight officially eight years, and yeah. he's doing more than two a year. Yeah, I think something like that. We're definitely I tried due to f- count it, but I got I lost uh, yeah. track with the singles. Like some I know. of his. Singles can make like another two LPs, if I'm not mistaken. If you want to explore Dan Bull more, a fun game to play is to go to Spotify because they not only have his albums, but they have all of the singles he's released based on games that may or may not have been on Generation Gaming albums. So, yeah. Good luck. Yeah, good Good luck. luck. Godspeed. Um, Before we get into what we're doing next week, which is John's pick, firstly... I want to promote my most recent autographs episode because I think it might be one of the most important interviews I've ever done. I had the legendary Stash Novak in studio with me, and we talked all about his, you know, impressive catalog of burlesque movements, his inspiration to become a burlesque dancer, his show that he hosts, how I met him. He's, of course, related to Matt Holtzclaw, a previous guest of this podcast. They're He's cousins. a pillar of the industry. He's a pillar of the industry. So if you haven't heard that interview yet, please go check out my interview with Stash Novak on the most recent episode of Autographs. Now, I elatedly defer to our resident professor in House of the Studio, Mr. Steve Nagel. Well, yeah, I didn't get a doctorate yet, so he's still Mister. Uh, yeah, still Mister. Just for the moment, or professor. Just for the moment, mm. or for a few years. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I like to go back to the German terms every once in a while because they, for for language that is so closely related to English, I I just love how very often the inflection behind the words gives so few clues to <laughs> English speakers as to what the hell they mean. Lebhaft. 
Lebhaft. Lebhaft. Lebhaft. Lebhaft. L-E-B-H-A-F-T. Is it Lebhaft. a movement of music? Um, no, it's it's a manner of playing. Sort of how I described Fast. last week as, you know, to play in, a, in warlike. Uh-huh. So, it's you know, this is a manner of playing, could you guess? It was easier from the Italian in this case uh, than, than it will be from the German, I, I guarantee you. Lebhaft. With, with light touches. <laughs> See, he, at least he was clever this time. Yeah. He goes right for the opposite, and actually you're not far off. Lively. Or briskly. <laughs> maybe quickly, too. <laughs> like a fiddle. Well, fiddles are kind of usually played. You know, I'm sure you can have a slow fiddle. Remember, that's or, just the style. Or, that's just or the, the flight of the bumblebee. Well, that's brisk. That is that's brisk. a little more that's than lively. brisk, I think. That's lively. That's right. uh, it's le- lively. Lebhoft. It's full of energy. Lebhoft squared. It's it's super Lebhoft. Le- super Lebhoft. All right, I'm using that in the next piece yeah. I write. Lebhoft right. Maxim. Super Omni Lebhoft. Oh, there we go. Uber. That sounds like a new genre we've just coined. There you go. Um, well, thank you for sharing that, Steve. Um, John, we defer to you for our actual album pick. Lots of difference. And I want to just talk about how my album pick is actually why we're not doing a topic this week or a proper topic. I guess it's been a while since we've done a, quote, proper topic of discussion afterwards. But I wanted to talk about the Creative Commons and how important I find this in today's day and age. Which is sort of related to Dan Bull because he also dabbles with that. Yes. And before you actually chose Dan Bull, this was a type of music I wanted to bring on for a very, very long time and never really found something that inspired me because there's not a whole lot of it made up until like the last year and a half, two years. In fact, this album's almost two years old now. Chiptune. Which me and Steve have to give a quick shout out to Chris Kaiser. Um, who is a friend of ours who does chiptune music mm-hmm. and does it quite well. Which is specifically this brand of chiptune is remixes. Okay. Remixes of licensed video game music. It's created by an artist called Smooth McGroove. Who I've heard. Uh, through the record label or the remix record label. They kind of specifically mm-hmm. say they're a remix record label. Game Chops. Okay. And the album is just called Smooth McGroove Remixed. So and this, the music is licensed, so he has permission from all of the people he sampled music and from. And it's drawn from a bunch of different uh, video games themselves, but it's actually removed from the video game. It's merely just the palette he starts with. Got it. So, But we are reviewing a remix album then, it's I technically guess. both. Hmm. That's technically be, both. That should be so, a little challenging. I well, will say it's, it's remixes of these original tracks, but it's creating original art using these remixes. It's sort That's of what like, a remix is, though. No, but it's... <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just I'll just say some of it is really unrecognizable. And okay. I'm familiar with a lot of the music. Some of it is just flat out unrecognizable from its original form. All right. So, It'll be an interesting discussion. Yes. It'll and be it's, new. It's, we haven't done remixes in a while. And, and I finally we've got never to bring on done chip, chip tune. Yeah, I, sure. honestly, I, I, I'm I surprised it's re- taken this long. I'm it's been really hard not to find just straight up remix albums of chiptune or renditions of famous music in 8-bit. Which there's actually quite a lot of. There is a... Classical, it's like it's like the entire Bach repertoire has been redone in 8-bit. I believe Which it. is surprising that they're still able to capture a lot of Bach. It's like, all based on probably written from a piano or... or yeah, actually, or, the yeah. mechanical nature of the work, it translates perfectly yeah, yeah. in my, in my no, head, no, no, having, no. even though I've never heard it. Chip tune. Yeah, that's true, because that's using music. video game sounds, not necessarily MIDI. So that's even not, so, like, like even so, it sounds Super mechanical. Mario, Super anyway. Mario Bach is something that you should experience at least once in your life. 
I'm just saying. Okay. Just all, saying. All, all okay. right. Well, Nintendo on, on on that bomb dropped. Remember, everyone out there in music land, music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.